They hurled all kinds of obscenities at us. What did they say? I don't want to use those words. <laughs> what did they say? Oh, nigger lover, jungle bunny, won't y'all go back to Africa? They punched us with sticks, with pins. A couple of people said, yeah, they're from the NACP. Yeah, that stands for niggas ain't acting like colored people. This guy who walked with a cane, he whittled the end of his cane down. He walked behind each of us and stuck us in the back with his cane. None of you ever said a word? <laughs> never did anything? Never did anything, never said anything. Where were the police? Nowhere. And then it was August 27, 1960. Axe Handle Saturday. The Klan had said that they were going to stop these niggas from marching. We knew it was going to be a terrible day. Everyone's on edge that Saturday morning. Alton Yates tells his new bride to stay inside. He said to me, do not leave the house, do not go outside. Rutledge Pearson hears that something's going down at Hemming Park. He drives there with Arnett Gerardo. There were axe handles sticking out of the shrubbery. And white men gathering, some in Confederate uniforms. I saw more hatred in their eyes than anything else I've ever seen. Baseball bats. And Alton Yates gets a blow to the head. The pain I don't remember. It's the ringing in my ears that I do remember. I saw them beat many blacks down to the ground. They beat the old lady down. I stood there helpless, couldn't do a thing. And see that lady take the whipping that she took with the examples. Plainly put, this shooting was racially motivated, and he hated black people. Tonight, new details in that racially motivated shooting at a Dollar General that left three black people dead. We have discovered new uh, facts regarding the shooter's movements and whereabouts hours and minutes before he committed his acts of senseless violence at Dollar General. Late today, law enforcement sharing this video they say shows the suspect, 21-year-old Ryan Christopher Palmetter, first entering a family dollar store about a mile away. Not only did the shooter park at the family dollar, he also went inside the store and bought some items. He then stopped at Edward Waters University, a historically black university down the street. This video being used in the investigation, showing the suspect donning a tactical vest and blue latex gloves, students flagging down a security guard. What's going through your mind? That there's something wrong. Um, I was not able to see a weapon at that time. Um, however, I did see what appeared to be a tactical vest, a mask along with a hat covering his head at that time. Authorities say the suspect hopped a curve and fled, driving to this Dollar General store where he began an 11-minute rampage. Surveillance video shows the shooter, without warning, firing 11 rounds into 52-year-old Angela Michelle Carr's Kia, killing her. He then walks into the store, armed with a handgun and an AR-15-style rifle that authorities say he bought legally. The suspect, shooting 19-year-old employee A.J. Laguerre Jr., multiple witnesses fleeing out the back of the store, and then later, 29-year-old Gerald Gallion enters, the shooter killing him, missing his girlfriend. And 10 minutes into this heinous act, he sends a text. The suspect texts his father and says, use a screwdriver to get into my room. The father enters the room and finds a last will and testament of the suspect along with a suicide note on his laptop. ABC News obtaining this distressed 911 call his father made to police. He left in his car a couple of hours ago. 
His father stating that his son had been suicidal before and was receiving psychiatric help, but had stopped taking medication. All right, and does your son go anywhere that you know of? Is there like common place no. he goes to? No, he doesn't go anywhere. By that time, the rampage was already over, the shooter taking his own life as officers arrived on the scene. Investigators finding writings on the gunman, which they say contained racist and hateful ideology, as well as painted swastikas on one of the firearms. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's a leading candidate for president, was booed by residents in Jacksonville as he spoke about the shootings. Florida stands with the community. Help is on the way. Some saying his policies and rhetoric attacking diversity in the state are in part to blame for creating an atmosphere of intolerance. Respectfully, Governor, he was not a scumbag. He was a racist. Context of white supremacy. Mm, words are important. This was not the work of a scumbag, quote-unquote, racist, white supremacist. Words are important. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, August 29, 2023, so I have been told, I know we are talking about Jacksonville, Florida, but man, I had to pause a whole lot of times. I paused. We were here yesterday on the 28th and I said, it's Emmett Till Day. Contrary to everything that I've seen, I do not think of August 28th as, oh, the March on Washington. The reason the March on Washington was on August 28th 1963 was because Emmett Till was lynched and castrated on August 28, 1955. And I think that event, especially with what happened this weekend, I think that should be the event that people are, oh yes, that's August 28th. But I said that yesterday, man, with the hurricane bearing down on Florida right now and what we're talking about, how could I forget that today, August 29, Katrina, for the folks in the Gulf, I would hope they would never forget August 29, Hurricane Katrina, certainly has a lot to do, I think, with the content for our discussion today. Uh, before we even get that far in it, again, make sure we just recognize the uh, people who were killed Victims of the terrorist attack uh, down in Jacksonville, Florida this past weekend, uh, Anult Laguerre, 19 years old, Anult Laguerre Jr., uh, Gerald Gallion, 29, and then Angela Carr, uh, mother, last one, I'll get her age, uh, last one, but I mean, we were here live in 2015, Charleston, attack on the AME Church, Mother Emanuel, we were here trying to think it's been so many of these where he were here live and, and covering everything that transpired afterwards. Certainly we talked quite a bit about the top situation last year and being in Buffalo for the sentencing earlier this year. It's been so many of these events. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing was with us the day after the massacre in Charleston made sure she said we cannot be in denial we have to be honest about why these sort of events happen and continue to happen in the system of white supremacy that is our objective today 
context. Uh, when we were here on Saturday, normal compensatory call-in and the massacre at the Dollar General had literally just taken place before we started broadcasting live. So we couldn't even really talk about it <clears throat> in an intelligent manner. I think at that time they had not named the shooter. They had not named the victims. They just said it was three black people dead and the gunman, white man, hated black people, hated Negros. And that was about all we, that's about, right, we'll get the rest of the details. But yes, we've seen this before. Our, one of our listeners in North Florida specifically, we've had lots of Florida listeners over the years, listener in North Florida specifically said, man, this is the 1960 weekend of the axe handle protests massacre however you want to phrase it they didn't have fatalities but a white mob with bats and axe handles gets to come out and brutalize black people in Jacksonville black people who are attempting counter racism that was the point he made immediately and we said wow you suspect that this white supremacist do you suspect that he knew about this history in picking this date for this attack we were kind of speculating and all that and they were saying manifesto and all the rest of it. I did not know anything about the axe handle protests, uh, nor really too much about the history of racism in Jacksonville. So start researching what I say all the time, research local history to help put things in context. That's why the tops mask going to say, wow, this happened before 22 caliber killer. Wow. Did Peyton Gendron know about this before? had to that was kind of the thought process we had this time last year we'll process we'll kind of put these two together talk about what happened way back 1960 and then what has transpired over the past few days uh, in fact even recent history with florida remember dr marvin dunn man we've talked to him so many times over the years about his uh incredible scholarship on the history of racism in the state of florida we had him on most recently to talk about how he was terrorized on his property in Rosewood. He was preparing. They were going to do the celebration and all that remembrance of the massacre and all that. And then white terrorist tries to run he and his son over in the street. They just had the trial and everything where this white man racist was convicted. We were so pleased uh, for Dr. Dunn and his uh, family. His son was there, too. But we were just talking about all of this. He brought up the governor running for president and all the rest of it. Our guest for today's broadcast to help us make sense of all of this, professor at the University of Clemson, man, oh man, pitchfork, Ben Tillman, non-Clemson grad, dad, in addition to being a professor at one of our favorite institutions, J. Strom Thurmond, uh, he has written a ton of great information about the history of racism and black people resisting white supremacy racism in Jacksonville, Florida. Specifically, uh, he wrote the report, the 19, 1960 and 1964 Jacksonville riots, how struggle led to progress. Uh, he also wrote the book, Keeping the Faith, Race, Politics, and Social Development in Jacksonville, Florida, 1940 to 1970. Lots of great information to kind of help put this particular area of Florida in context and maybe even to help grasp some of what transpired this weekend. 
So thankful to have him share a bit of his time and expertise with us. Joining us live, Dr. Make sure I get our book. There we go. Dr. Abel A. Bartley. Dr. Bartley, are you with us, sir? Yes, I am. Welcome. I'm glad to be a part of the show. Oh, man. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your time. So great to have someone who is a native of Jacksonville on the broadcast with us. Uh, For folks, this might be their first time hearing about you and your work. Uh, Can you kind of give us a brief intro of what you do out at Clemson? Yes, uh, I've been at Clemson for my 19th year, actually, here. I came to Clemson in 2004 and started their uh, Black Studies program, which we call the Pan-African Studies program. And I started it and got it up to a major. And a few years ago, I stepped down. It's now they changed the name to Global Black Studies. But I came to build a Black Studies program. I do research in African-American and and urban history. Uh, I'm a professor of African-American urban history there. Uh, And... I basically do African American studies, urban studies, and and African American history at Clemson. Awesome, nineteen years, very impressive. Uh, getting the whole department started, amazing. Um, for listeners who have not uh, seen you, you are classified as a black male. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Since the day I was born. <laughs> right on. Right on. <laughs> Uh, and making sure I'm not telling lies on the program here, you are a Jacksonville, Florida native? Born and reared, yes. I grew up in the Arlington area of Jacksonville. Uh, my family has a long history in Jacksonville. The Bartleys uh been there for a long time. And uh, I'm very proud of the, of the Bartley name and the Bartley family tradition. But, yeah, I'm a Jacksonville native. Graduated from Terry Parker High School. Uh Arlington Junior High, uh, went to Susie Talbert, Douglas Anderson, and Parkwood Elementary. <laughs> so we're going to take any old credentials. Right on, Dr. Bartley, proud Florida native. Right on. And his, his scholarship, for folks who have not read, his scholarship reflects that. Proud Jacksonville. Not just Florida, but proud Jacksonville native. That said, um, man, you I'm assuming you were in South Carolina when the events transpired this uh, past weekend. Uh, you've had a few days now, I guess, to kind of reflect and be in touch with uh, folks back home as 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 a black male and a native of Jacksonville. What are your thoughts now that you've had some time to reflect on the three lives that were lost by this terrorist attack in your hometown? It, it, it's really a tragedy. It's really a tragedy and one of the many tragedies that we've been experiencing in the last few years. I think that uh, there has been a, a a change in mood in the United States. Uh, really began in 2008 with the election of President Barack Obama. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to see something fairly controversial, but I, I think that the way the United States was set up, there never was a contemplation of the fact that an African American would one day be in charge of this country. And I think it, it set into motion a number of things that have that have led to what happened in Charleston, what happened in Jacksonville, what happened in uh Pennsylvania with the with the Jewish people getting killed, what happened in uh other areas with with other groups getting killed. That that there's been this this sea change of thought. Uh there's a report that 
people should read it's called the 2040 report where by 2040 we will be a minority majority country and i think that this is upsetting the apple cart for a lot of people because it's leading to a lot of uncertainty and it's tragic that so many innocent victims are the result of what has been fed to people this 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 new racism that's been fed to people and to think that a 23-year-old person, someone who's 23 years old, who grew up in an integrated society, could have that much hatred that he would go into a store and shoot black people, it just does not, it baffles the mind. It baffles the mind. And if you don't know, he didn't even, he didn't even live in Jacksonville. He never seen, seen, saw those people before. He had no, no uh, interaction with them. Just because they were black, he decided to kill them. That says a lot about the power of racism. Heard this before, white guy, young white guy, academic problems, doesn't even live around these black people, but he hates them and wants to kill as many of them as possible. Yes, I've heard this before. Um, I guess to kind of get to the specifics of it, you don't have to uh, and hey, I've heard that a few times. Uh, it seems a few folks are getting a little tired of having to report about these types of shootings over and over and over. <laughs> said, hey, man, forget trying to be polite about all of this. When you say some people, you know, just could not fathom that one day we have got a Nicra in the White House. You said that that really seemed to switch things around. Do you mean white people specifically that that really bothered a substantial number of white people when Obama was elected back in 08? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I was the, I served several years as the chair of the South Carolina African American Heritage Commission. Mm -hmm. And at the time of the shooting in here in, in Charleston, I was vice chair. And, uh, there, there was a, a change in attitude. I mean, when President Obama was elected in November of 2008, you could see after the initial euphoria and all that other stuff that a lot of people who were on the other side began to think we, and I'm using their, their word, we have lost this country. And America was set up to be a democracy. Dr. King said it best. It was set up to be a democracy for white and a dictatorship for everybody else. And, and uh, in November of 2008, all of a sudden it became a democracy for everybody. And that upset the, the apple cart for a lot of people. And you've seen it, uh, you know, you hear this notion, take our country back and all that. What, you know, that that's really a foolish argument when you think about, you know, the, the, the history of African-Americans in this country. I think that, that that really upset the apple cart because now we have to deal with African-Americans as equals, African-Americans as people who are going to make decisions, who are going to have a seat at the table. And I think that just upset the apple cart. They they never fathomed that they'd have to deal with this in that way. Imagine walking into a room and having to stand up because this African-American has walked in because of the title, the position he holds. That 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 really, I think, discombobulated a lot of people in the United States. And it has been feeding a lot of angst ever since and a lot of writers and other people on both sides of, of the aisle recognize it it's no accident that this is this all has been occurring since 2008 hmm. 
Are you familiar with the scholarship of Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, her book, The ISIS Papers and or her yes, theory? Oh, oh wow. my goodness. Yeah, I ran the African Studies program. Oh, my fault. I'm sorry. I ran it for 10 years at the University of Akron before I came to, to Clemson. So, yes, I, I'm aware of, yes. I have a Vince Sheridan with Dr. Frances Cress. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm well read in, in uh, Black Studies. Yes. My fault, my fault, insulting his credential. Doctor, doctor, PhD, my fault, my fault. Um, do you, what do you think about her, her theory of white genetic annihilation? Do you think she might be accurate with why all this is happening? Yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of things that, that play a factor in it, but that's a big part of it. I mean, when you think of the, the, you know, the whole one-drop rule, the only place in the whole world that had the one-drop rule was the United States. And later, the, even the Nazis weren't crazy enough to, to have something like that because they recognized the power of this African blood and, and the fact that, that in their minds that any, any kind of interracial uh, cooperation might lead to the destruction of the white race, even though it, it's something that is, I don't think is really a possibility. But I think it's something that feeds a lot of fear. And so I think she's right on 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 part of that, that, that it at least feeds a lot of the fear that a lot of whites have about African-Americans and this notion of race and color. Mm. Dr. Welsing, she was with us the day after uh, Peyton Jenner, not Peyton Jenner, so many Dylan Roof's 2015 attack. That was in June. She was with us the following day and she heavily emphasized the fact that he said, I have to do this, uh, the white attacker at that time. I have to do this. You're raping our women. I have to do this. And then he went and, uh, in my view, assassinated uh, State Senator uh, Pinckney. Uh, I don't, most people do not consider mm-hmm. that a political assassination. I do. I mean, he's elected State Senator and he had just been on TV talking about racism and the killing, police killing of Walter Scott. I suspect Dylan Roof probably saw that, but he neither here nor there. Uh, she really emphasized that in saying that's exactly what I'm talking about. White people feeling, as you said, demographic concern. Ooh, we're going to be outnumbered soon, the 2040 report. And then this year, raping our women, you're raping our women. Even President Obama has a white parent. Um, she said, I think that that's going to fuel more of these attacks. And then I forgot El Paso. You mentioned the synagogue attack, correct? They had El Paso in 2019 Mm -hmm. where the shooter went to Walmart. And he said specifically, you Mexicans, dark people are coming over here. You're hopping the border. We need to get that wall. Do you think he's passing it? That I would say those two together with Obama, the Obama presidency, and then the demographic concern, that seems to really have driven things. Even that with the uh, so-called opioid crisis that they've been talking about i even think that is a symptom of the same thing the oh man we don't have the same is is the system of white supremacy waning like i think all of that i think all of that could be connected uh let's let's specifically with the attack this weekend it happened it would be 63 years to the date of the axe handle attack you as a historian who's written extensively about this particular history of Jacksonville, do you think that was relevant or was that just, no, you know, he just picked a date, he wanted to do it, and it just happened to be this weekend? Well, I'm a historian and I don't really believe in coincidences. Uh, I think that uh, people plan out things, that dates are important, that times are important. And so, no, I think that he 
he recognized the significance of that. Uh, it, it was a Saturday. I think they, ha- they happened on a Saturday. Uh, I think that it, it played all, all into uh, a sick fantasy or a sick idea that he had. Uh, you know, when you study the history of it, there's there's so many parts of the story that resonate to people who were back in the 1960s. You know, at the time, you had a governor, a person running for governor in Jacksonville, Hayden Burns, who chose to run on a very uh, conservative, and I hate to use the word conservative, a racist platform uh, opposing integration. Uh, and he sort of fueled a lot of the anti-Black anti-civil uh, rights angst that was latent in the city. And it really wasn't latent, but he allowed it to express itself. And so here, again, you, you fast forward to 2023, you've got a person running for president whose his campaign is floundering. And so he, he, he attempts to hark back on a tried and true uh, trope. And let's, let's just attack the African-American. Let's just attack the Hispanic. And so, you know, he, he does a lot of outrageous ideas. You know, slavery was good for African-Americans. Uh, let's pack uh, diversity, equity, and inclusive programs, all those things. And it sort of fuels a fire. And when you've got a lot of young people who feel disconnected to society, disconnected to, uh, you know, the world that they live in, and they have a lot of time, the internet, you know, back in the 60s, they didn't have the internet, but but, but they did have radio they did have television which also fed these sick ideas about african-americans and things and so all all it takes is a, is a spark and then you know a suggestion and people are willing to do very you know they already have deranged minds a lot of them some and they're willing to do things that are that are just outrageous and you see that you started in 1960 where these Klansmen again people who were not from jacksonville if you really study what happened a lot of people who came that day were not from Jacksonville. They came from South Georgia and other areas into Jacksonville, and they attacked peaceful civil rights activists who they didn't know, who were only asking that let us have our piece of the American pie. You promise we hold these truths, these self-evident, all men are created equal. So all we ask is that you live out the creed that you have, have established, and then they, they get attacked and beaten, not for you know raping a white woman, not for doing anything crazy, but just simply asking, can I spend my money in your restaurant and be treated as a normal customer? And so you see echoes that keep coming back from throughout history in the treatment of African-Americans. And I think that, you know, 2023 was an echo of, you know, 1960s, where the same thing happened where African-Americans are just simply asking, can I go into your store, spend my money, sit at the counter and eat like everybody else? I I have a section that kind of gives some context because I know I did not know a whole lot about the axe handle protest before this past weekend that went, got some of your research. Uh, so I suspect listeners probably don't know a whole lot about this history either. So I want to give them some details. I guess before I do one, uh, did you hear, do you remember hearing about this history growing up that you're like parents or grandparents, aunties and people, did they, you know, sit you down and tell you about all this growing up? Did they teach it in school? Yeah, and the sad thing is, no, not really. I, I heard, you know, this tidbits, but I didn't really begin to become fascinated with African American history until I got to Florida State uh, in my freshman year. I took a history class, and 
my professor, it was just a U.S. history class, but my professor, a guy by the name of David Ammerman, he did this this uh, demonstration, and he, you know, he said if uh, you know if a, if he set a chair on the side of the room and it flew across the room, and then asked ten people, what would you report about the chair? And each person had a different perspective, and then he was then he said. Well, with history, the perspective we get generally is just white males. And so we don't know the perspective of African-Americans. And then he said something I had never heard, that there were African-Americans who fought in the American Revolution. And that was the spark that got me studying African-American history. And then when I began to read about my home city, Jacksonville, I realized how important Jacksonville was to the story of the United States and the story of African-Americans. So a short answer to that question is, most of this information was hidden from me. I didn't get any of this in school. Uh, I didn't get it until I got to college and I began to study African American history at Florida State. Wow. That is, uh, hmm. <laughs> I guess, inspiring, uh, sad, I guess. Uh, I guess I also would have to say, uh, uh, tragically common. I feel like I've heard that a number of times where. <laughs> Black people, two parts of that I've heard a number of times. One, really important events like this, the Axe Handle protests, uh, Tulsa Rosewood, I mentioned Dr. Uh, Marvin Dunn before, really important events like that. Uh, we, we, and I mean non-white people, will be totally uninformed, never heard of it, nobody talked about it. Matter of fact, we read Bill Russell's memoir, and he talked about uh, lynching that took place in Monroe, Louisiana, when he was a young child, I went back and got the newspaper clippings. It was in the newspaper. White people told them under the threat of violence, you had better not talk about this lynching anymore or else. Mm -hmm. And that was that. So that's one part that I've heard many times. Uh, and then deliberately hiding of this. And I think that, Equally, uh, in fact, you you talk about that. So this is uh, Pat was going to read from the report, but you talk about this eloquently in keeping the faith. Uh, so this is in the introduction. Uh, you said it's unfortunate that many sources concerning Jacksonville's African Americans have been destroyed. As Eric Simpson, the now deceased editor of the city's black newspaper, the Florida Star, said, "You have to rely on the memories of old men who are too honorable to lie." but too proud not to. It is their memories and recollections coupled with scattered primary and secondary sources such as city directories, daily newspapers, church records, and private collections which provide the only links to the past. One source now being tapped is the extensive Eartha White collection housed at the University of North Florida's library and the Clara White Mission racism and discrimination blinded the recorders of the past to the importance of saving critically significant black sources that uh, eloquently I think gets it exact we've heard that so many times I think that's even in or I don't think I know that's in James Lowen's Sundown Towns where he talks about uh, how white people would deliberately go and destroy the archive newspapers of when some of these sort of racist events happened. So when you go back and try and do the research, it's like, Hey, what happened to the newspaper for this week? All gone. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not, 
I, I, I wrote a book on integrating the school system in Jacksonville. It came out a few years ago. And one of the things I, I, I did a interview similar to this on the news program. And I was saying that as African-Americans, you'd have to be a darn fool to believe that the United States has any interest in educating African-Americans. They don't. If African-Americans are going to learn African-American history, much of it they're going to have to learn on their own. You'll never see a progressive curriculum that will integrate the stories of African-Americans, Hispanics, Native other women, because there's no benefit to those who are in charge to the, for the rest of the country to know those stories. And so if you're going to know, we're going to have to push this, a new curriculum. We're going to have to push our leaders to force students to learn this information. Uh, you know, in most colleges, they, 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 they uh, punish African-American students for taking African-American history by making it an elective that usually doesn't count to their, toward their major, while at the same time forcing them to learn history of everybody else. Uh, and this is not something, you know, this is not any, any uh, brilliant idea that comes from me. If you just read uh, Carter D. Whitson's book, The Miseducation of the Negro, that was his argument way back in 1935, that, you know, we learned everybody else's history except our own. And the school system is designed to make sure we don't learn these things. I guess two parts on that. One, what's your, what are your thoughts? I've heard a number of folks in Florida who say, hey, we think Governor Ron DeSantis is, or at least bears a small bit of culpability in this because uh, talking about this sort of environment and rhetoric, uh, he has been out saying we're not doing all the the anti-woke bill and we're not talking about critical race theory in class and we're not going to do all that coming down to shame white people with this sort of history. They say that sort of attitude, we're not going to talk honestly about the axe handle protests and Claude Neal and Dr. Harry Moore and the history of Florida that led to exactly the sort of event that happened this past weekend. What do you think? Most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, he was he was like Paul at the stoning of Stephen. He held the coat. Uh, you know, he he poured gas on a simmering fire, and then you know, just sit around and and then afterwards sit around and say, "Wow, I'm surprised people got burned." You you can no one is surprised that you have these incidents occurring. Which if you look at the atmosphere and the environment that has been created, the racial environment that has been created over the last few months since George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Something that you would think would, would would be universally accepted, the notion that African American lives matter, that we that police can't just kill African Americans, that became something controversial. <laughs> it cost a, a promising young NFL player his career. It cost a lot of African Americans their lives, all because they said we we it does not make sense in a country like the United States to allow policemen to murder African American men in extra legal forms. And that has become the backlash. And, you know, you've got, you know, one, one political party and, and a group of people who've used that to create this whole anti-woke, you know, foolishness. I mean, if you think about it, if you're anti-woke, that means you're asleep. <laughs> I mean, I want to be asleep instead of being awake, which is, it, it's really insane. But it, but it, as an African-American historian, this isn't the first time this has happened. If, if, if you study the 1920s, this was kind of the craziness that, Fed the Ku Klux Klan become the largest organization in the United States. All of this stuff about, you know, I, I've, I've got to protect the pieces of the pie that I own. In America, we've always had this zero-sum game as, when it came to race, unfortunately, ever since the 
uh, the the era of slavery with the Bacon uh, Bacon's Rebellion, and the idea is that if African Americans are gaining, whites are losing, and so it has fueled a lot of the stuff that has gone on. It's the reason why we don't have universal health care. Reason that we don't have a lot of things that that other countries have because the argument is if African Americans get it, that means it's at the expense of whites. And unfortunately, a lot of poor whites and undereducated whites have bought into this notion that I've got to be better than somebody and that somebody is African American. And that, that unfortunately has fueled a lot of what we see today. Context of white supremacy. Our guest, Dr. Abel Bartley, proud Jacksonville, Florida native scholar at the University of Clemson. Uh, but make sure I don't forget, number one, if folks have a question they want to get in about what's happening in Jacksonville, our discussion, the number is 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. We'll get your questions for Dr. Bartley. Um, you've mentioned kind of the, the rhetoric, and we've kind of seen this sort of thing before, similar with uh, Ron DeSantis. Man, how could I? Or I'll, I'll do it this way. Let's see. Let's see. I'll give you a quote. This is super, super, uh, I guess, I don't know. I normally don't do quotes. We've done a lot of, of games to kind of see if our guests can get it. So I get this quote. We'll see if you can guess who said this infamous person from your state the quote is if you scratch the white man too deep you will find the same savage whose ancestry used to roam wild in Britain when the Danes and the Saxons first crossed over who said that Dr. Bartley that sounds like A. Philip Randolph uh or James Wilson Johnson. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it sounds like Asa Randolph or James Wilson Johnson. Am I wrong? Incorrect. Uh, that was former South Carolina governor, co-founder of the University of Clemson, Pitchfork Ben Tillman, uh, one of my favorite characters. Oh, okay. I... Uh, I thought you were talking about people from Jackson. Okay, yeah. Oh, big, oh, please don't get me started. On, on <laughs> please don't get me started. On that. I mean, he is. I mean, he takes ignorance to a new level. <laughs> when, now, when you say ignorant, what, what do you say? Ignorance. The, the Pittsfort Tillman knew, you know, the, the significance of African Americans to the state of South Carolina. He was a man who was so bent on this notion of racism for political reasons that he was willing to do things that went, you know, above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, he's a guy who was elected senator who we know had killed people. Uh, he's a guy who had an intense hatred of African Americans. After, you know, for a while, he, he sort of recognized that South Carolina needed African Americans. South Carolina, what people don't know is until 1920, South Carolina was a majority black state. 
And even though Tillman made the argument later on, Strom Thurmond, this whole argument about democracy and we got to protect democracy, when they argued a democracy, they meant white democracy, not African-American democracy, not full free democracy. And so he made a lot of statements about, you know, that sound patriotic and good, but then you have to recognize when he made those statements, he never intended for them to include African-Americans. And so when I say ignorant, I mean uh, someone who was willfully ignorant. He knew that he was making statements that didn't apply to everybody who had American citizenship, right? And some of the things he did were so evil and so dastardly that, you know, it just boggles the mind. Such as he, he, he passed legislation and supported things that went against what would have been best for the state of South Carolina because it also would have helped African Americans. And that's when I say ignorant, because it just doesn't make good sense as a politician or as a person. But that's the way racism works. It makes no sense economically. It makes no sense socially. It makes no sense logically. And that's the way I say it. I mean, one of the things I tell my students, I just started a new semester. And one of the things I tell my students, the craziest thing about racism or the, cra uh, the craziest thing about racism is the way it robs the country of things that we could have done. We don't know what bridges might have been built. We don't know what diseases might have been cured. We don't know what problems might have been solved. If we just had given African-Americans, Asians, Hispanics, and women an opportunity to just participate in the democracy, participate in the educational system, how much farther advanced we could have been economically, socially, spiritually, if we just allowed them to participate. I'm, I'm not saying don't, I don't, we don't need any special laws. Just allow them to go to school and, 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 and learn the way everybody else went to school learn. Let them use modern books, not books that are 20 and 30 years old. Let them have the same uh, access to uh, lab equipment that everybody else has. We don't know. We, we may not, we, we possibly could have ended this whole scourge of cancer. If we just because there's a lot of brilliant African-American minds, and instead of developing them, we put them in jail. <laughs> we killed them. So we have no idea what we have missed out on in the United States because it was cheaper in their minds to have racism than to have opportunity. Wow. Wow. Um, man, Dr. Uh... Abel Bartley, uh, number one, we were kind of cheating. Uh, that's why I said that was not not a big deal with that because we were talking about Jacksonville and I did uh, try to cheat there and trip him up talking about Pitchfork Ben Tillman. But he's at Clemson's like, man, how could we not, you know, at least bring up a, a sentence uh, about I mean, He's one of our favorite subjects. Uh, he's representative in my view. He's representative uh, in so many ways of what it means to be white. Uh, and I guess the two quick things I would say, number one, I think white women have got ample opportunity to participate in the system of white supremacy, sometimes called democracy. But I think they have gotten ample, like extraordinary opportunity to participate Two, uh people frequently use the term ignorant when talking about white people and I, I mean I agree a thousand percent all of it is not logical and they do things that are harmful to everybody like you were saying with Pitchfork Ben Tillman and pff, I would rather not invest in education for the entire state of South Carolina if it's going to uh, help black people then let's not have it for anybody like oh my gosh we've got all these literally yeah. white people down here that sort of thing 
totally that does not make sense it is not logical i get it but that sort of pattern you see that over that's obamacare where white people have said the exact and i mean verbatim just take out education if we have an obamacare if that means these negras are going to be able to go to the doctor and we in fact there were white people who said hey I have health problems. I need Obamacare. But if that means Nicaras and my state are going to get to go to the hospital, I would rather die. And they did. Now, I can totally get some people. And I'm not even being hyperbolic. Like, literally, I can get the name and everything where this happened. They died for racism and said it that way, too. Some people will say that that is ignorance. I say that is dedication to white supremacy racism like wow i mean i don't even because i mean you're doing exactly what you want to do and i am committed unwavering i don't cut no corners to my cause like wow that is i just i think that's an important because i think the term ignorance implies like a lack of information like if you just had better info you would do better and that's not what this is at all like i've made a conscious decision and I know the consequences. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, or? Let me just say, I, I, no, you're right. I mean, I as as like I say, I study African American history, been studying now for over thirty years. It is it's it's so it's it's like they have a some people have a knife to our throat, and they said the only way I can cut the African American throat is to cut my own throat, and say and they say, well, I'm willing to make that sacrifice, and so they they cut programs. I mean, we could have had universal health care years ago. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt talked about universal health care. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt talked about universal health care. Every time it was destroyed by the idea that we don't want African Americans yet. The, the, if, you, if you look at something as simple as the uh, minimum wage, everybody could have had the minimum wage, but Southerners were so dedicated to making sure that African Americans did not get the minimum, minimum wage, that they put in policies that undermine their own wages. <laughs> it, 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 it's a crazy thing. You, there's no rational way for me to argue with people who are dedicated to this idea of racism and white supremacy because there, it doesn't, there's no rational argument that you can make where I'm willing to cut my own throat to cut your throat. It's like dealing with a suicide bomber. There's no way you can talk him down. <laughs> He's made his mind up. I, I, this, this thing is so important to me that I'm willing to die for it. And so that's, that's, that's why I say it's a zero-sum game, that it's hard for African-Americans to make headway in that type of environment. And unfortunately, that's the environment that we have developed, that's the environment we have to operate in. And it's scary, and I'm amazed at the progress we've made, and, and I'm, 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 I'm very happy with the progress we've made. But, I, I, but when I use the word ignorant, I'm... I guess you, you're right, and they do understand, but I don't think all of them understand. I think they've undereducated a lot of people in the South so that they really don't really understand how much they're being undermined. I mean, the South is the poorest region in the country for a reason. The South has the worst education in the country for a reason. I mean, I, I was just lecturing the day on this. The only reason we have public education in the South is because African-Americans after slavery had control of the government and insisted that we put a free public education system in place. And yet they fought it tooth and nail. 
they fought it, and they're still fighting it tooth and nail. The almost all of the constitutions, state constitutions that are being used today in southern states were written by black politicians in the 1860s, and yet we have thousands of monuments celebrating uh, the Civil War, but only two celebrating Reconstruction. And that's when I, when I, that's when I'm saying ignorant. That's because they don't know how important these things are. See, I see the folks who dialed in. I get our callers too. That's that's what I mean, uh, Doctor Bartley. Where the, Doc? Oh, excuse me. Not that's gonna say, Doctor. Forgive my ignorance. I'm sorry. We are talking to the doctor. Ron DeSantis is not a doctor. Governor DeSantis. I think if we gave him your scholarship. You pick out Dr. Marvin Dunn, get some other uh, Scott, Dr. Paul Ortiz. He's been a guest with us, too. So we give him all that information. And I think for all many individuals. So I'm sorry. We'll give it to us one more time. All good friends of mine. I know Marvin. I've known Marvin oh, yeah. over 20 yeah. years. I've known Paul Ortiz over 20 years. <laughs> we all there. good friends. We, we would do the same scholarship. See there, Dr. See there. So we give him all of your buddies. Great work. Uh, on try to educate old Governor DeSantis, I don't see him changing his opinion one iota. He would say, you gave me good uh, kindling for the fire. You know, we, it's getting cold. We get ready to get our marshmallows and, and gear up for our uh, tailgating for football season. And woo, we'll put some books on the fire. Like, And I think that way for most white people. I don't think it's that it's it's what we said before, the hidden history. It's not that we weren't informed about this. <laughs> We hid this deliberately because we don't want you to know it. It's not that we were, you know, oh, man, if we had just read this, we would have had, like, I don't, I just don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's that dedication. That's all. No, I, no, I agree with that. I mean, I, like I said, I'm in Sacramento with Strom Thurmond. I got to meet Strom Thurmond's mm. daughter uh, mm. and, you know, became somewhat friends with her. And, and, you know, for a while I thought she lived, you know, in a near river in, Edu called the now, but they have to talk. I mean, Strom Thurmond was the person who filibustered the civil rights bill, knowing he had an African American daughter and African American grandkids. And she told me, she said her father told her, I don't really believe the stuff, but that's the only way I can stay in power. And so, you know, I think for DeSantis and others, and even Trump, I don't, I, I think that a lot of them think that, you know, this is the only way I can stay in power because they're feeding on the ignorance that they themselves have built. Fascinating. Wow. Essie Mae Washington Williams. Uh, for folks, we did read Dear Senator uh, in our book club. Woo, fascinating. Now, that one, talk about denial. That's one I talk about. Do they, can you teach in South Carolina? I don't know if you teach about Strom Thurmond specifically, but in South Carolina or at Clemson, do they teach it that Strom Thurmond raped? A black female raped a black child and produced SMA Washington Williams. Do they call that rape child rape? Is that how they phrase it? <laughs> no, that's not the story they tell in South oh, Carolina. But oh. she came. We we brought her to South Carolina. Uh, you know, like I said, I read the Panarchy Studies program, and we had a nice conversation. I had a chance to have dinner with her and talk to oh, her daughters man. and all that. Uh, and she she gave me some inside things that weren't in the book. And she spent a lot of time, especially during the 60s and 70s, where she's protesting for civil rights. And her husband, and her father is the leading opponent to civil rights. And 
there's some cognitive dissonance there because he has this thing. This is this, you know, this was my father, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, I understand the politics. You because know, you know, I I asked him, when he died. He before he died, he knew he was going to die. He asked her, "Is there anything I can give you now? Because I can't acknowledge you in the wheel," which I thought was a powerful statement for her to tell me because even in death, we've got to keep this lie going. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought I, 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 I don't know if she even picked it up. Even in death, I've got to keep this lie going, so that my image as this race-hating white southerner remains intact, even after I'm dead. Because I, I, I can't have people knowing that you know everything. I, a lot of things I said, I really didn't believe in my private life. And that's what I think you find with you know, in studying history, you find that with a lot of of people who leaders in the South, that their, their public life and their private life didn't always match. And, and Strom Thurmond in particular, and even Ben Tillman, I mean, when you, know, you study the history of Clemson, there were, you know, a lot of convict labor was used, but a lot of poor whites were here. And one of the things a lot of poor whites were doing was having relationships with African-American maids who worked on campus. And, you know, Ben Tillman, you know, mentioned that, that, you know, we got to do something about that, but, you know, he never stopped it. So, you know, the public and private lives of people often are at odds. <laughs> this is that way. <laughs> you tell them the truth, Dr. Bartley. You historian, uh, Jacksonville native, uh, Dr. Bartley, author as well. Uh, I, I do want to say for Strom Thurmond, I do not see a contradiction in the public and the private. His public was racist and the private is too. If you're raping a black child, I mean, this is not some sort of equal uh, egalitarian relationship that he, he can't even acknowledge her in death. <laughs> like you're behaving like a racist publicly <laughs> and then you're behaving like a racist privately. Like you can maybe, you don't call me nigra and such here. Uh, you can be nice and, you know, go out and he couldn't even go out to dinner with, I remember one, I cannot even skip over that that because that's not in the book. Tell me what I can do for you because I can't even acknowledge you in death. That what I just, the word I just said, dedication, even into the grave, we got to carry the like. Woo, that is whew, okay. That's what oh, you gonna say. You gonna add something? Okay. Um, Who me? Yes, sir. I didn't. I didn't know if I you were gonna add in, but yeah, that's dedication for one. Um, <laughs> that the, the will component. You know, you know, I do. I do want to add one. I do mm-hmm. want to add one thing. Yes, sir. There was it, at least with the with with the strong with Strom Thurmond. There was some buy-in and some cooperation amongst probably African Americans here in South Carolina. Because a lot when I got here, I found out that a lot of African Americans knew that Strom Thurmond had an African American daughter. Strom Thurmond had to make an inspection as governor of South Carolina. He had to make an inspection every year of all of the schools. And so he would go to South Carolina state where he, his daughter went to South Carolina state. He paid for to go to South Carolina state. And each year the president would set up a private room where Strom Thurmond would spend a few hours with his daughter in that private room and make sure no press or nobody else knew about it. And, you know, so they, so they could keep this thing secret. And most people on campus knew, and it was this, this conspiracy of silence where, Few people talked about it publicly, but then who was going to listen to African Americans anyway? 
But that that to me was an amazing story to find out that that kind of thing was going on. <laughs> Very widespread. I'll get our caller. I get to remind folks. So yesterday we were talking about Daryl Hunt, privileged black male in North Carolina. Within uh, Phoebe Zerwick's book, she also talked about what he exactly what he just said. North Carolina, South Carolina, same thing, really. She talked about the convict labor that was used in North Carolina. And she Daryl Hunt, he's locked up and, you know, seeing all of this. She said... The guards would have them do a make-believe brothel and have the black inmates in dresses as they go and engage in all of this homoerotic, homosexual activity. Uh, that was just yesterday. That's why I said that's I don't see much of a contradiction at all because that's a huge tradition. The system of white supremacy, white men and white women raping and exploiting sexually black males and black females like that is i mean jesus lord how many books can we read delectable negro talked about that yesterday uh let's see are you familiar with that book the delectable negro yes i am but let me let me put you on another one that i think may be a bit too deep for most of your audience let's hear it rethinking rufus it's called rethinking rufus and it's and what they did what he did what this author did is he reassessed sexual violence against African American men under slavery, and it, it it will really open your eye. You you won't be able to believe what you read in that book. Uh, it's called Rethinking Rufus: about Sexual Violence Against African American Men Under in During Slavery. On our game, Thomas A. Foster, he was a guest on our program in 2020, right? First part of the COVID situation. Yes, that one. Also awesome uh, as well. Uh, Yes, to get people to kind of rethink, because this is all a long tradition in the system of white supremacy. (laughs) Uh, Caller number one, let's see, Kwame from the Bronx. Did you have a question for Dr. Bartley, proud Jacksonville native, uh, Kwame from the Bronx? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, greetings, Dr. Bartley. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, okay. Uh, my first question is, what do you think black people's collective response should be when another shooting like in Jacksonville happens again in terms of what we should say and do and how we should think about these events? Well, two things. One, I think we've got to be proactive. We've got to stop apologizing for being African-Americans. I mean, we've got to call a spade a spade. The, these killings aren't happening because crime, because these things are happening because a society has been established which devalues the lives of African-Americans, and where you've got a lot of people who feel alienated from this. For what reason, I don't know. And they, they feel that they need to victimize the victims. And so I think what we've got to do is we've got to start holding politicians and others responsible, people who feed these minds. And I think we, 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 we can't let them off the hook. People like this Santos and others with these anti-woke and all this other stuff. We've got to call it out for what it is. It's a racist attack on African-Americans. And it's going to lead. They, their hands are not clean. Their hands, their, their hands are not clean, and we need to push for legislation which makes this kind of rhetoric 
a crime. If you can put people in jail for protesting that African-American lives matter, don't tell me you can't put people in jail for protesting saying African-American lives and African-American stories don't matter. I'm a little bit farther uh, left than, than most people. <laughs> but I really think that that's what we've got to do. We've got to organize and we can't let this silence is a killer. And so we can't let this thing just be another killing that occurred. We've got to organize. We've got to put up. We've got to make sure people hear it, that we're tired of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thank you for that response, Dr. Barley. And uh, my second question is, should black people suspect all white people of being racist? And that includes like white men, white women, and white children. Yeah. The problem is we live in a racist system. And because you live in a racist system, even if you would like to be, like to be someone who treats everybody fair or whatever, the system is not fair. And so what we have to do is look at even the good things that people do. We have to look at and say, you know, is this really something good or is this something that is, that, that is self-serving? And so, yeah, I think because of the way the system is, even the good that people do, we have to be concerned about it. We have to be over there. Now, now let, me, let me be careful when I say this. Not all white people are racist. Let me make this clear. But what I'm saying is we live in a system where it is privileged being white. And so even in time, even in, in a lot of times, they don't even understand that the system has, has privileged them. If you go to law school, there's a, there's a theory called undue uh, enrichment, which says that if your grandfather stole money from my grandfather and you became rich with that money, you owe me because of the damage that, that was done by your grandfather. In the United States, even though that's a legal theory, we have never practiced that legal theory when it comes to African Americans. We paid reparations to the Japanese, we paid reparations to the other people, but with African Americans, they refuse to pay reparations, they refuse to pay back the damage that has been done to African Americans. And so even liberals will make the argument, well, I don't, I don't see how, what, uh, how reparations will help blacks. And that's because they've been poisoned by the system that undermines the value of African-Americans. If you stole something from me, I don't care if you stole it 20 years ago, the reality of it is you owe me something for it. And if you don't see that you owe me something for it, even though you may consider yourself not a racist, you're part of a system that continues to discriminate against me. I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it, it did. Thank you uh, for your response, uh, Dr. Barkley. And uh, another question, one last question. Um, do you think that if non-white people in mass stopped engaging in sexual intercourse with white people, um, that it would motivate white people to stop practicing racism? No, heck no. And let me tell you why. I'd be well. I mean, I'd be well. Uh, if you read her writings in the 1890s, she did a whole bunch of research on lynching. And the argument for lynching was that African-Americans were raping white women. 
that was the argument that they used to justify lynching in the South, the North, and other areas. And she and she made a very good point. Between 1861 and 1865, the vast majority of white men were all fighting the Civil War. If African Americans wanted to rape white women, why rape them during those years? Why would we wait till white men got back and were angry to start raping white women? That is a threadbare lie. That is not the reason why whites have this angst towards it. It has nothing to do. That's a it, it, it that's a red herring. The reality of it is about power and money. That's what it's all about. They recognize that African-Americans, they don't want to share the power. They don't want to share the money with African-Americans. And a good excuse that they use is this notion of interracial relationship and the fact that they that they could be destroyed as a race. You take the power and the money away. And the studies, there are more white men who have relations with black women than black men that have relations with white white with uh, white women. And look at look at the history of it, because it was illegal for blacks to have relations with white. There were there were five hundred thousand mulatto babies in the United States in eighteen sixty, and the vast majority of them were result of, of white men having relations with black women. <laughs> So no, that 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 would not yeah. no, that would not solve the race problem at all. It would they just come up with another reason to do it. Mm. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for your response, Dr. Barley. I, I won't have uh, the stage uh, for too much longer. Definitely, no problem. Uh, you can take over. Much obliged. No problem. Thank you for calling in. Before I nab our uh, next caller, uh, I guess one you said. Uh, most of those so-called mulatto children were the result of white men having sexual relationships with black females. Uh, would it be accurate? That's rape, isn't it, Dr. Bartley? White men raping black females? That's where most of oh. those... <laughs> but yeah, yeah, when you define the word rape, keep in mind that until 19, the 1950s, there was no legal rape of a black woman in the United States. Hear me well. Before the 1950s, there was no legal rape of a black woman in the United States. There was a famous case that occurred in the 1870s where these white men raped a black woman. And the case went before the United States Supreme Court. And the United States Supreme Court said, since rape is the taking of virtue from a woman and black women have no virtue, there can be no rape. That is a sad part of history that most people don't like to like to bring up. But there was no legal rape of black women until about the 1950s. So it was rape, but there just was no legal definition for it when it came to black women. Mm. Scholar, Dr. Bartley. Love it. Love it. Uh, before we nab our caller, uh, what definition of racism do you use when you're teaching about all of this at Clemson? Racism to me is when you have the power and you have the opportunity to push an idea that, that your group or, or your people are better, faster, stronger, smarter than everyone else, and you use that power to, to push that false notion. That is by definition racism, in my humble opinion. Okay, okay, okay. 
Okay. So you have to have the power and you have to have the idea. You have to have the power and the idea that you're going to push to everybody else about yeah. whatever. We're, we're faster, smarter, stronger, etc. Okay, okay. You have to have the power. Okay. Yeah, and, and let me throw let me throw something else. To, let, me, let me throw something else that I always tell my class. The sad part about this whole racist system that we set up in the United States, it's built on a lie. Whites never believed that blacks were inferior, that women were inferior, that that, that natives were inferior. That, that because here's and this is why I know they never believed, particularly African Americans. If I believed I was the fastest man in the world, I would tell you saying vote to meet me at a track and let's race so I could show you that I'm the fastest man in the world. I would not make a law saying, you saying vote, you can't race me. I'm the fastest man in the world. You saying vote, you can't race me. It makes no sense for whites to say they're smarter, stronger, faster than African Americans and then make laws saying blacks can't do the things that they're supposed to not be able to do. It, it means that you don't really believe what you're arguing. <laughs> and that's what I have to tell my students. That they never believed any. They never believed in the inferiority of African Americans. They never believed in any of those things. It was just a convenient argument. Because if you really believe it, the best way to prove it is put African Americans in school with your kids and let your kids show that, hey, we're much smarter than these black kids. They can't keep up. But instead, when they put African Americans in those schools, African Americans did just as well. So they had to come up with something else. We give them poor teachers, give them, you know, books that are out of date. We're going to, you know, all those other things because they recognize, wow, they're going to destroy this whole notion, the plank that this whole country is built on, the idea that whites are superior to everybody else. See, Lauren dialed in with a hand up for I nab her. That what you just shared with us, Dr. Bartley, that white people, uh, they're not really ignorant. Like, they know. Like, man, me and Usain Bolt get out here on this track. Man, I'm going to be in the dust, man. Like, nah, 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 nah. Jesse Owens, get that. Carl, uh, you, Jesse Owens, Carl Lewis, all of y'all. Nah, no niggers. Nah, none of that. None of that. None of that. Same thing. We just lost uh, the great Jim Brown. Like, nope, the white man is the greatest football player ever. Jim, just sit down, Jim. They said Jim Brown almost quit at Syracuse because of racism. Can you imagine that? One of the greatest football players to ever live because of racism. And they said, that, that, the white man is the great. Sit down, Jim. You don't know anything about football. Sit down. That is common, but because that's true, and I believe, I think Dr. Bartley is a thousand percent correct on this one. That's what I said before. White people are not ignorant. They are very aware. They lie and they practice racism. That's all. That's what I mean. It's it's not ignorant. I'm even aware that, yep, Usain Bolt, he will dust me. But I'm going to practice racism. Get back there, Negra. Let's see. Uh, Lauren, did you have a question? Author, scholar, Dr. Abel Bartley, Jacksonville native with us. Lauren. Um, yes, sir. Thank you for coming on the program, Dr. Bartley. Thank you. Um, earlier, you said uh, Strom Thurmond told his daughter, Essie Mae Washington, that, you know, I don't believe this stuff, but this is the only way I can stay in power. Uh, my question is, do you think Strom Thurmond was telling the truth or practicing deception? <laughs> That's a really good question. That's a very good question. I think that 
let me just switch this way. His daughter thought he was telling the truth. Can I question him? I don't believe so. I don't think you can do the, say the things he said and do the things he did unless in your heart that was part of your makeup. But his daughter told me that there were moments where her father was so sensitive and loving that, you know, so I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we live as two selves. And I think that he was, he was, he was either deluding himself or in his mind, he was telling her the truth. And I, 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 I'd hate to try and get in his mind to figure out, but in my humbled opinion, I think he was just deluding her saying what he, he thought his daughter needed to hear. Okay. So you, you think he was practicing deception, sir? Yes, I really do. I think that he he he, he didn't oh. want to argue with his daughter, and so he told her what she wanted to hear. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty reasonable. Um, I have one more question. Why do you think white people practice racism? Two things, power and money. It's a zero-sum game. They have been on top for so long, and they've been fed the stale bread of their greatness and then all this other this European greatness and all this other stuff. And this challenge to them is upsetting the apple cart. Like I, when I, like I said, when I started, this country was never designed to have a black president. It was never designed to have white people saluting blacks, African-Americans being in, in leadership positions. And I think that they recognize that to, to them as in this zero sum game, that if they give African-Americans part of the pie, we're going to take a big part of it. And so in order to protect themselves against losing money and losing power, it's better to just keep us down as opposed to sharing. That's really what I believe, because it's the only thing that to me that makes sense in a system where you're willing to keep yourself poor to keep African-Americans poor. That answer your question, Lauren? Guess it maybe she got muted. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Much obliged. Much obliged. Our caller, uh, last four digits, zero three five six. Zero three five six. Did you have a question for Dr. Abel Bartley? Uh you should be with us. Zero three five six. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you. Greetings, Gus. Uh, greetings to the calls and listeners. Greetings, Dr. Barlett. Uh, thank you for spending your time with us this evening. Greetings. Um, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, first question, um, in your humble opinion, um, do you think that white people are taught racism, white supremacy, or is it an innate behavior? I really believe that it's taught. And, and then reinforced by all of the institutions that we have in the United States. I mean, I, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And, you know, if you look at, even on the, on the plantation that, you know, under slavery, for the first few years, kids play together. But then there comes this moment where kids are taught that, you know, there's a difference between you and them. And in order to hold on to that position we have, the, the stuff that we have, We've got to separate you from them and, and, and instill in you the idea that you are better than them. And there comes this moment in, in, in most of their lives where they have that moment. And it's taught. It's taught in the school system. I mean, 
look at think about your K through twelve education. How much did you learn about African Americans, and how much did you learn about white? Look at you know on TV. How much do you learn about African Americans? How much do you learn about white? It's a system that 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 ingrains you with this idea of the greatness of white and the inferiority of all others. And I really think that you know I I, I think that it's something that that is taught because you can go to other areas. Malcolm X had this experience when he went to the Middle East and met uh, people who had white skin who did not have the same angst that African Americans, that I mean the Americans had. And he talks quite openly about it in his autobiography. There are places where you can go where, you know, that, you know, where people are, aren't taught the same rhetoric that, that we're taught in the United States. It's something that's been taught and then it, we have institutions that enforce, reinforce the teaching. To add to right, that, as you, I you very much. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. Now, so to add to that, it's this whole notion of the limit to the possible. As kids growing up, there was always limit to our possible. I mean, as African-American, I can only go so far because, you know, and, and the other thing with, with, what happened with, with what happened with President Barack Obama, the limit to our possible changed. The idea that we could actually be I mean, I'm not that old, but growing up, the idea that we would have a black president was as far faster as the idea of us living next door to the man on the moon. And yet the limits of the possible are changing. And I think that, you know, that's, it's, it's slowly beginning to break down some of the racism. And also the interracial relationships are beginning to break down some of the racism. Thank you, sir. I just have one more question for you. Um, are you familiar with David Katz, um, circa 2018 in Jacksonville, Florida? David, say his name again. Say his name again. David Katz. K K David Katz. K A T Z. I've heard of the name. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what I heard in the connection with. Refresh my mind. Um, this is short. Mr. Cat was um, another uh, white male who attacked, uh, in my opinion, um, non-white people at a video game tournament that was um, in the Miami yes. area. Okay. Yes, yes, I remember the, that. Yes, I do remember it. Yes, go ahead. That that was five years ago to the day of the last night. And I'll um, you know, this is your time. Thank you. That's so interesting that he brought up the the shooting at the video game conference in Jacksonville from a few years ago because some of the first reports on the massacre from this weekend, they did mention the video game shooting. They did not mention the axe handle uh, protest immediately. I did see that subsequently, but immediately they mentioned the video games, not the axe handle protest. But, yeah, I do remember that being talked about quickly when these uh, events unfolded uh let's see our caller two nine seven nine two nine they i was thinking when he when dr bartley was giving us his response they got spaceships 
where you can go to the moon now. So, I mean, hey, all of that is real antiquated. Like, scratch everything off the list. Uh, Let's see. 2979. Did you have commentary for Dr. Abel Bartley? You should be with us. 2979. Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, Good evening, Dr. Is it Bartley or Bartlett? Bartley. Bartley, sorry. Good evening, uh, Dr. Bartley, to the, uh, to the guests and, and Gus. Uh, my, I have two questions. So my first question is, I was wondering, in, in your opinion, uh, should black people avoid talking about racism, white supremacy, in terms of progress and adopt speaking about racism, white supremacy, in terms of it's it's here or it's not? That's an interesting question. I think that it depends on the track that we're on. And let me let me explain it this way. I think that as we talk to our kids, we need to talk about the progress that we made because we need to leave them hopeful. But I think as we get older and we begin to see the lack of progress, we need to start talking about it in those terms about the lack of progress. Uh, you know, you know, I, I still consider myself fairly young, but I know I only have so many more days that I'm going to be on this battlefield. Uh, and so I see so much that needs to be done. But I also want to inspire the next generation to say we've made it this far, I'm handing handing you the mantle, I'm handing you the flag, that's the next hill that we need to conquer. I need you to to, to conquer that hill. And and we need to give them the tools to conquer it. So I'm gonna answer your question by basically punting and giving you a, a two two part answer. Uh does that answer does that answer satisfy you or do I need to go a little deeper? It's helpful, but I, I guess I would, if he, if if I could get a yes or no, that would be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say yes. <laughs> let's say yes. I always like to be, to think that, you know, that things are going, are moving in a positive direction, even though it now seems like we've been walking in a circle. I have seen improvements over my life, and I and I I, I think this, I'm going to see more improvements. And so I'll say we need to talk about the progress we've made, uh, and emphasize that, uh, even though we've talked about you know tearing down the last of these uh, barriers. Because like I said, 2040, I, I would encourage everyone to read the 2040 report. Once we are a minority. a lot of these arguments that we're having now are going to be antiquated as we deal with other arguments. That is, you know, that's, that's at least the way I look at it. So, and I may be wrong because I, you know, I just four years ago or six years ago, everybody was talking about how the Republican party was going to have to embrace Hispanics. And then we got a person in who said, Hey, you know, the most openly anti-Hispanic president I've seen in my lifetime. And yet he won and, one with some Hispanic votes, and so I don't. 
it's, a, it's, it's these are strange days. Two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and my last question, I just for some for some context for my question, uh, I, I recently saw the the film Oppenheimer. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, uh, but I was. Yes, I did. Uh, I was okay. So I was a bit amazed at the the um, amount of resources, bigger that the white people in that film used to create, you know, the atomic bomb and, you know, so my question is, why do you think white people are unable to do the same when it comes to race and eliminating the system of racism, white supremacy? Because it's like what I said with education. Why would you? If you're a white, <laughs> all right, my friends always get mad with me because I have the same thing that I would say. I would love to be white for one day, not because of the, the privilege, but I would like to get in their minds just to understand how they think. Because I can't, the way I, I was raised, I just can't hate a person just simply because of their color or because, you know, I, I just can't gin up that kind of hatred. And yet they can. And I'd like to know how and why. Now, you know, with the movie Oppenheimer, I, I enjoyed it, but, you know, again, I'm a historian, and I know that were, there were a lot of African Americans also there who played a part in building the bomb, and I didn't see them. <laughs> and again, it's a great movie, it's a long movie, it told a great story, but again, it's visibility with invisibility. There was, blacks were invisible in that movie, and yet you'd never know that they also played a role in it. And so, again, it's a, it's a story of, look what we did, us brilliant scientists, us brilliant white scientists, we created a bomb, and not telling the story that African Americans played a role in it. Same, I mean, most people, before they saw Hidden Figures, would have never guessed that African Americans were part of the state program. They were African American test pilots. But you never would have known it unless you, you know, unless you take the time to learn it yourself, because they're not going to tell you that. Agreed. Thank you so much for answering my questions. No problem. I hope I answered them good. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> some of these questions take a long time and a lot of explanation to do. Why wow, we got a historian visiting with us, uh, Dr. Abel Bartley. Much obliged for your question. Star six one for other folks. If you have a question you want to get in, he brought up Oppenheimer, rocked me right to one of my questions. I can even read a teaspoon. This is from <clears throat> Dr. Bartley's report the 1960 and 1964 Jacksonville riots how struggle led to that word again progress uh, this is uh, in the Florida historical quarterly uh, Dr. Bartley writes on March 5 the FBI announced that they had made an arrest in the Godfrey bombing William Sterling Rosecrans a 30 year old laborer from Indiana had planted the bomb they said Rosecrans had a long criminal history that included several burglaries and petty crimes. He became a suspect when his car was found near a cache of dynamite stolen from a local construction company. Police officers arrested Rosecrans in St. Augustine in connection with bombings of two Florida East Coast railroad trains. The FBI reported... <clears throat> that Rosecrans had bombed the Godfrey house to frighten the family into taking six-year-old Donald out of Lackawanna Elementary School. Rosecrans had been under FBI surveillance for some time. He apparently had connections to one 
of the five Jacksonville Klan organizations. The Klan boasted a membership of about 1,000. After Rosecrans' arrest, the FBI widened its investigation to find collaborators concentrating its attention on Jacksonville's Klan leaders. On March 15, FBI agents ended the investigation by arresting six Klansmen and charging them as accomplices in the Godfrey bombing. The the African-American press praised the FBI's actions. A Pittsburgh Courier reporter wrote, seemingly the arrests mark the first solid cases concerning the numerous bombings which have taken place in the South since post-World War II Oppenheimer days. This is the context of the axe handle protests. Uh, I know people, you know, or I don't know if they do, but they should think of Alabama and bombing ham and what Rosa Parks and Dr. King and company Ed King had to endure there. But man, they were bombing in Florida just because one or two black, black children wanted to get education. Dr. Bartley. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If you say Florida's history, you know, the, the South is a place of, you know, a lot of violence and violence. but yeah, Florida, uh, Florida has a long history of people using bombs uh, to, you know, undermine the civil rights movement. The president of the NAACP in the 1950s, his house was bombed on Christmas night, and uh, the name is escaping right now. Uh, Doctor Harry he, he T. Moore, Henriette, or Harriet yes, Moore. Yes, it was Harry and Harriet Moore. Yes, they, yes. You know, the, the one thing that that's interesting, you know, Jacksonville, living in Jacksonville was an advantage for a lot because it actually had such a large African-American community. Uh, some people don't know when, when Dr. King did his uh, movement in St. Augustine and it was a very violent movement. They took Dr. King out of jail in St. Augustine and brought him to Jacksonville and put him in the jail in Jacksonville because they were afraid he might get killed in St. Augustine. And they realized that he would be protected in Jacksonville. Uh, so Jacksonville had some advantages that other places didn't have, even though there was a lot of violence, even though you had all this other stuff going on. Even with Axe Handle Day, uh, the part that people don't like to talk about is when the Klan began to beat African-American uh, protesters up and then chase them into the African-American community, the Klan was chased out of the black community by local black gangs led by the boomerang. They said, you know, y'all don't do this here. And so, you know, there there are two sides of the story. I, you know, it's not just a we shall overcome and sitting back and, and being passive. There's also some blows, you know, that quite a few whites caught some hands too as during these protests. And so I think you ought to realize that also. It wasn't just a situation of sitting back and taking blows. African Americans fought back. And in a lot of areas, they fought back. But it's just not part of the narrative that people want you to know about. Super important. I see the other callers. I'm gonna read a teaspoon more just to emphasize what he just said. But those bot man on time, Columbine, Timothy McVeigh, Ted Kaczynski, Eric Rudolph, James Holmes, white culture, boom. So page 51, the 1960 and 1964 Jacksonville riots and how struggle led to progress. Dr. Bartley writes, Eric Simpson's words, well, let me actually back up a little bit just so they have full context. After a week, whites moved to end the demonstrations. The Florida Star, black newspaper, warned city leaders that a restless spirit 
was moving over the black community. On August 24, 1960, editor Eric Simpson reported that despite the relative calm that exists here, the Negro people in Florida and particularly Jacksonville are faced with many problems that have led to unrest in other parts of the country. He cautioned that unless city officials officials joined with the business community and met African-American leaders, violence was unavoidable. Simpson's words proved prophetic. Two young demonstrators running from the police accidentally knocked an elderly white woman through a plate glass window. On August 26, a scuffle broke out between a white and a black woman in front of a store where the latter was picketing. The two women knocked several white women to the pavement during their scuffle. This incensed the white community and some drove to the Sears and Roebuck department store and brought axe <laughs> That's all they do. Beat black people with axe handles in Florida. Sears <laughs> sold over 50 axe handles in one 15-minute period. On, Octo- on August 27, a group of Klansmen and White Citizens Council members from South Georgia and North Florida armed themselves with axe handles, baseball bats, golf clubs, and heavy walking sticks and held a rally in downtown Jacksonville. They warned merchants and others not to violate Florida's segregation laws. Police officers patrolling the area did nothing as the Klansmen passed out leaflets signed the segregation forces of Duval County and threatened downtown merchants with citywide boycotts if they gave in to African-American demands. I will stop there. As he said, the boomerangs black gang had to eventually stop all of this and taking the axe handles from these white racist hooligans uh, before the police came in to make a lot of arrests mostly of black people um, I wonder where I do see ooh, wait, let me see let me make sure I get in the office I'll get the other callers we saw Jacksonville Sheriff T.K. Waters front and center I first saw him on Saturday I don't think I'd ever heard his name before probably couldn't have picked him out if you gave me a million dollars if I could have picked him I would have missed out but I saw him the first time on Saturday And he said, hey, this was a racist incident. This person came to kill Negras. Only time I say this, not saying anymore. Very forthright immediately. When I read your work, I said, wow, it took a lot of work to even get black police officers in Jacksonville to even have somebody like him sitting front and center. I don't know how did given the work that you've done, knowing some of that history, uh, how did that resonate for you him come and then him being so forthright about all this and saying immediately this was racism and he hated negras yeah exactly had you know they've been blessed to have i mean nat glover was the was the first african-american sheriff since uh, since uh reconstruction and he did a wonderful job uh really brought crime down uh tk is is you know as sheriff you know another african-american sheriff african-americans in the police force have done well uh, they proved him to be very effective. Uh, what was it? Was it you know he ran as a Republican. He ran against another African American and won the election. Uh, it was I think there were four or five people in the race. He he has proven to be someone who has been moving more and more towards the center. Uh, and and as 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 from what I hear, has been doing a pretty good job uh, trying to bring down crime. But the police force is one area where African Americans have excelled uh after the african americans got on because you know my my younger brother was a policeman and it takes a certain kind of mindset to work as a policeman and in the jacksonville sheriff's office they have done a wonderful job 
the African American who served in the police, and they've been able to move up the ranks. And surprisingly enough, a lot of the white community trusts their policing to African Americans. Uh, African Americans have been able to defeat whites who run for the position of sheriff. And so that's one area where I think there has been a lot of progress. I thought there would be more. We had an African American mayor for a while, but then, you know, they used racial arguments and other things to, to undermine his, his second campaign, his reelection campaign. And I think it'll be a while before they get another African American mayor. But, uh, the police force has been an area where African Americans have made a lot of progress. Not quite as much in the, fire department, but the police department has been one area where there's been a lot of progress. I know you wrote about uh, the efforts to get black officers on the force and how difficult it was for them. You said that even uh, some of the black people would think of the black officers as sellouts or suckers. Do uh, do people think of your, your brother as a sucker or a sellout because he's a police officer? No, no. A lot of that attitude changed. What happened was during the 1960s, you know, there, it was a different attitude about African-Americans as policemen. Uh, by the 1980s, as more and more African-Americans, there was, there was this demand to have more African-Americans because, you know, in theory, they, they, they were more sensitive towards African-American, uh, African-Americans who may or may not have committed crimes. And so by the time my brother was on the force, there was a different level of respect. That's why Glover was elected uh, sheriff and, and other things, because... African-Americans were beginning to see the benefit of having African-Americans on the police force. But during the first part, when they first got on, it was during a period of segregation. Blacks could not even brandish their guns in front of whites, and they couldn't arrest whites. And so African-American police were, were seen as tools of the white power structure. Later, that that perception was more nuanced and began to evolve a little bit more. And so it's began the, the perception of particularly black police has, has been changing over time. They said they, <clears throat> uh, Sheriff TK waters. He said that, uh, he was able to see, uh, the white gunman in this case had written several, uh, manifestos and made it very clear that this was about racism, white supremacy. They have not released those written documents to the public unless I missed them. Uh, I know sometimes they will say that you shouldn't release these because it encourages copycats and uh, people will, will glorify and worship this guy like they do Dylan Roof and some of these other racist gunmen. Do you think they should release this material so we can see what he said or should it be kept private? No, I think we, I, I'm, I'm for more sunshine. I think they should release it. I think that we, because we need to know what kind of foolishness fed into this kind of craziness. So, I mean, we, I, 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 I'm a firm believer in free speech, but I'm also a firm believer that in order to have free speech, you've got to be willing to deal with the consequences of your free speech. And I like what, you know, the Justice, Supreme Court Justice said years ago, you can't yell fire in a crowded auditorium. And, you know, a lot of things that they, that, that people are fed on their online and other stuff is like yelling fire in a crowded auditorium. And I think we need more, more laws to make people more responsible for the use of free speech. And so, yeah, we need, people need to see the kind of foolishness that people had and ideas that they had about blacks, because a lot of people would tell you old things are better, whites are, you know, there's no more racism and all that stuff. And they need to see what people, a 23 year old young man who was educated in public schools in integrated public schools, what he thought of his black classmates and black neighbors who had never done anything to him. I mean, he had worked at, at Home Depot, and he had 
uh, apparently gone to Flagler College. And I know Flagler College has African-American students there. I know the high school he went to has African-American students there. I know the neighborhood he lives in has African-American people there. How then can you develop this intense hatred of African-Americans? What fed that? And I'd like to know, and I'd like to know what was, you know, simmering in this young 23-year-old mind. We need to know that so that we can learn from it. And then when we see this kind of language and see this kind of stuff, we can we can do something about it before it's too late, before he takes a gun and kills a whole bunch of people. I agree. Let's let's see what he wrote. I'm all for uh, transparency, uh, as they say. Let's see what he said. Uh, star six one uh, folks who have commentary for Dr. Bartley, uh, the number six oh five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Our caller three seven five one three seven five one. Did you have a question for Doctor Abel Bartley? Three seven five one. Yes, I do. How's it going, Gus? How's it doing, going, Doctor? I'm doing well. So, Doctor, I had a, a question. I actually have a couple of them. But the first question I have is, uh, from what I've heard you speak on, it appears that you have uh, like a positive outlook on the racial situation in America. I've heard you state quite a few times that uh, about progress. And then progress and changes in progress. So my question to you is, what is the proof to you that there's been real progress? And in what context are you speaking about progress? Okay, that's a very good question. Remember, I'm a historian <laughs> and uh, African-American historian. And, and I'm going to answer your, your question again in two parts. Cornel West has a famous line that I like to use. He says he's hopeful but not optimistic. And for me, I'm hopeful, but not always optimistic. And the way he explains it says, I'm hopeful because I know what I'm going to do. I'm not optimistic because I don't know what other people are going to do. But here's why I say there's been progress. I grew up in a world where African-Americans were limited in what they could do, where they could live, what they could, you know, who they could date, all those other things. And I have seen progress in that my kids have much more opportunity than I ever thought they'd have. Right? I, I mean, you know, just the fact that, you know, I things, little things that 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 people take for granted. I'm 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 not as old as, as, as I'm sounding here, but the fact that African Americans can go to the polls and vote. Now, you know, what happened in Georgia, where African Americans went to the poll and voted, and we got a new president. That kind of stuff, that's progress to me, because if you look just 50 years ago, that wasn't happening. That couldn't happen. And so there's been progress. There, you know, if you look at the, the amount of money African-Americans have, the number of African-Americans who moved into the middle class and have gotten out of, pro, out of poverty, that's progress. Now, every step of the way we've seen it's been check, checkmate, check, checkmate. I understand what you're saying with that. But there has been progress. The fact that we had an African-American who could actually run for president and get a sizable white vote and be elected president is progress. The fact that the uh, for the first time 
the minority leader in the House of Representatives, and soon, I really do believe soon, will be the first African-American speaker of the House. That's progress. Because those are things that, if you talk to people who grew up 50 years ago, that was not something that was ever going to happen. They couldn't see it ever happen. So there has been some progress. Has there been enough progress? No. But there has been progress. That's, that's why I'm optimistic. And I say for my kids and for your generation and the next generation, we're going to hand you all the flag and say, hey, we need that that heel conquered. We need that heel conquered. And like I said, 2040, we're going to be part of, there's going to be whites at about 49%, 48% of the population, Hispanics at about 28 29%, African Americans at 25%. There's going to be opportunity to make even more progress. And so I, that's why I'm optimistic, because as we speak, I see this Donald Trump and all this other stuff. These are the last blows that whites are throwing because before they recognize that this fight is going to be a different kind of fight. Okay, thank that you answer. for that answer. Um, the, so what I'm gaining from what you've uh, said is, it, like, my interpretation, I could be incorrect. But your interpretation is proximity to whiteness is proof of progress. That's what I hear. Uh, you acknowledge that there's been gains made and then checkmated, but I don't, um, I'm just trying to get an understanding of how, is it the more the proximity to whiteness that white people can move, black people can move in white environments, even if they're kind of restricted in a, a non-visible way, but it's still known? Because that's what I kind of heard was like proximity to whiteness means progress. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. You misunderstood me completely. That's what you heard. What I heard is now if I get my education, if I learn how to be an architect, I can take those skills and work as an architect. If I go to medical school and learn how to become a doctor, I can take those skills and become a doctor. That's what I mean. Before, African-Americans can get those skills and be locked out of the opportunity to use those skills. That's what I'm saying. It's not proximity to whites. It's the ability to use the skills you have in a society to move our society forward. That's where I say there's been progress. A hundred years ago, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, when he worked at University of Pennsylvania, could not get tenure. Even though he's one of the most brilliant sociologists in, in the world, he couldn't get tenure. I graduated from Florida State. I, I, I got tenure. I'm a full professor at Clemson University. I can use my, uh, my skills uh, in our society, and that's progress. I'm not locked out of opportunities now the way I used to be. There, I, I'll never be president of Clemson University, mainly because of my skin color, but at least I can use the skills, the 11 years that I spent in, in graduate school, school learning how to be a historian, I can use that skill as a historian. And in previous generations, the fact that I got a PhD did not mean anything. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not proximity to white, it's the ability, we've improved on the ability to use our skills. Okay, so I, I, I'm trying, I'm still processing uh, what you said about it, but I, I'll give that a thought as I uh, wrap it up. But my last question to you is, uh, you made a statement when talking about, I feel what caller it was, maybe two or three colleges for me, that uh, part of the progress that you witnessed was interracial relationships between black males and white females, I think you said. 
uh, or maybe it was just a general ideal of you spoke about, you know, part of progress bringing inter- interracial relationships. And I was surprised no, 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 that no, no. Renegade didn't hit the bill. So what no, is, no, no, no. Why, what, what made no, you no, say no. that? That, that, that's what, part what of the progress you? that you stated that was no, progress no, by interracial relationships. This is what I'm saying. I said that now you have the same rights. Basically, you have the same rights as other people. There are no laws now that limit who you can date. Or, or if, if, if that's your choice, if you choose that you to date whatever you want to date or whoever you want to date, there are no laws that are saying that, that are stopping you from doing it. That's what I would say when I talk about the progress, that there are no laws stopping you from being in love with whoever you want to be in love with. That's the progress that, I, that, that I'm saying is, is I, I feel that's progress because before it was illegal for African Americans to, you know, if, if they fell in love with, with whoever they fell in love with, those laws were illegal and they were designed to keep blacks and whites separated or whatever. And I'm saying if, if you have, have the notion of freedom and equality, which is something I believe in, that there should be with the fourth, what, as the 14th Amendment says, equal protection under law. If whites can marry whoever they want to marry, African Americans should be able to marry whoever they want to marry. That progress. I, I was not making a statement on interracial relationships or anything like that. I was saying that the fact that the laws now no longer limit who, where you get married or who you get married to. That's my point. I was not making a, a political statement on interracial relations or anything. I was just saying that if that's what you want to do, there's no longer a law stopping you from doing it. Loving these Virginia. Okay. Well, white males have always had access to black females in this country. I think uh, more maybe if you talk about the misandry laws against black males have been taken off the books, but I know quite a few black males who have been victims of uh, police violence because they were in interracial relationships with a white woman. Uh, that's all. I still appreciate happens. you answering my question. Still today. happens today. Look, listen, I still happens today. I, I, I'm just saying that, that nowadays, but the difference though is before Loving v. Virginia, if you decide, if, you, if it's a white black person, a black male and a white female fell in love with each other and wanted to get married, they legally could not get married. A white man could not marry a white black woman in certain parts of the, of the South. Those laws have been eliminated now. So now if you, whoever you want to marry, whoever you're in love with, you have the right to marry them. That's the only point I'm making. And to me, that's progress. The fact that we no longer limit people uh, that the same laws that are, that apply, the laws are being ap- applied equally. And I understand you, we can't legislate the racism out of policemen or out of society for people, but at least the law gives you the sanction that you can marry whoever you want to marry. That's all I would say. And that to me is progress. The fact that they're recognizing the fact that we can't have special laws for whites and special laws for blacks. There's, the law has to apply equally. Much obliged for your question, sir. I know uh, Pitchfork Ben Tillman is rolling over in his grave like we have got a Negro (laughs) with tenure at my university, and then he is out publicly advocating miscegenation? What hath God (laughs) wrought? Oh, my God. Sorry, Pitchfork Ben. Things have changed. Uh, to some degree. Uh, I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, Z's mom, did you have a question for Dr. Tenured Dr. Abel Bartley? 
greetings. The question I had was, um, how would or do you have advice for black parents on when a shooting like this happens, how to talk to their offspring about it, um, or just how to talk to the youth about it, and if there are tools to mentally prepare them for the fact that they have to realize that there's a war happening. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good question. And a, a very good, yes, one of the things you have to that that we can no longer hide our kids from is that we live in a a world today that is very hostile towards African Americans. And so the best tool is I would have them reading with Tennessee Coates uh, has several uh, very short, nicely written books that I think are help. Uh, the Miseducation of the Negro is a book that I really think every African American should read uh, because what 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 they need to do is understand why why are is is it that these things are happening why is it that people are doing these things to african americans and the first thing we need to do is we need to break this idea that african americans had anything at all to do with this is the mind of a sick person who does not like you for no rational reason and so that's the thing I, I've been telling my kids. There, there, there's nothing that blacks did. There's nothing that African-Americans said. This guy hated you just because you were black. And there's nothing you can do about the fact you were black. You know, God chose you, you know, and put you with, you know, in the family you were put in with the race you were put in. You've never done anything against white. They hate you just because of who you are. And so what I would, what, what I would do is I would tell my, tell my kids, first of all, you need to understand you did nothing wrong. And that this is just the response of somebody who is jealous of something that they don't need to be jealous of, the fact that you're African-American and then that they think you're trying to take something from them. And the second thing I, I tell them is don't overlearn the lesson. I mean, you know, be cautious, but don't be crazy. And that, you know, if you have white friends, have the conversation with them uh, and try and find out how they're thinking and what they think of it also. My daughter doing, I have a daughter who was a, uh, just starting her teenage years during the George Floyd uh, incident, and she organized the families to march in the Black Lives Matter march. And when she mentioned, several of her white friends wanted to march also. Uh, so have these come, have them have conversations with their friends and with others to see where they're thinking, how they're thinking, also how they're processing this, also, so that they can get an understanding of what's going on. But it's important that they understand this is not a situation where if I don't wear blue jeans or if I don't cut my hair this way, that this won't happen. Because think about it. You can go to church, you can get shot. You can go to the grocery store, you can get shot. You can be at home, you can get shot. You can be driving your car, you can get shot. This, this, this is something that's, that's, that happens because people have, have this hatred that has been built up that's not based on anything except the fact they don't like you for something you have no control over. Does that help you? Yes, it does. Thank you. Much obliged, Z's mom. Uh, again, if we have parents, uh, if you think your offspring would like to join us, uh, Z 
Z's mom we just heard from, but her offspring, she spoke with us before, uh, talked about how the COVID situation, the pandemic impacted non-white children. You know some black children, maybe you have nieces, nephews, little young cousins, whatever, your daughters, sons. They want to hang out with us, chat about what the return to school, what it's been like now that we're three years and so into COVID-19 and now the shooting as well. Let us know. We'll try and organize something for September. Um, before we let Dr. Bartley enjoy the rest of his Tuesday evening, uh, did you see Dr. Bartley? I've seen more recent reports where they said the white gunman that before he went to the Dollar General that he attempted to enter the Edward Waters University, which is a historically black institution that's, I think, like I said, a mile or so uh, from the Dollar General. He went there, but apparently some of the students, they saw him with a firearm, the tactical vest, and what is he doing? What is he doing? And what is all of this? And they alerted security, and then they you know, called enforcement officials, so he left, and then he went to the Dollar General, but they were saying it, it seemed like maybe that was where he wanted to go and attack an HBCU first. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I, I, I've been very intrigued. My brother, my oldest brother, graduated from Edwards, along mm. my, along my sister lines. Edwards is one of Florida's oldest colleges and uh has a strong history there associated with the AME church in some ways uh, you know very I, I, I was intrigued because had he gone to Ed Waters and shot up a college you know this would have really been I think we would have been talking about this in a different way actually uh he's I'm glad the students saw that there was something strange about this white guy coming and parking and putting on a on a on a, a bulletproof vest and other things and they they alerted the Security guard, I saw, I heard the security guard today talk about how he saw the guy, saw the vest, but did not see the guns. And so the guy took off and he alerted the police. I, I, sometimes, you know, God steps in in ways to, to save us from situations because it would have really been a tragedy had he gone on that, that just at the beginning of the school year and killed a bunch of young African-American college students. Uh, I, you know, it, it's a tragedy that he killed the three people he killed. It, it's, it would have really been tragic because I think he would have, the, the death toll would have been much higher. And that's the thing that I think is really frightening. Just to make sure that we, we don't miss that, because that sounded like it was important. When you say if he had, if this had been at this historically black institution, Edward Waters University, where you have family who attended there, what do you mean we would have been talking about this in a different way if he'd attacked this institution? Well, I think there there would have been more targets for him to hear. I think he would the, the the death toll would have been higher. I really think that because if you read, I mean, they they put excerpts of his writing, and if you read what was feeling him, he clearly had an angst against young African Americans who seemingly were succeeding where he had failed. He had fall, he had dropped out of college. He had flunked out of college. He had lost his job at Home Depot. He was a person who had failed in society. And I really think that had he been confronted with African-Americans who were succeeding, that the anger that he had for blacks would have been multiplied. He let, you know, if you read about what happened at the store, he let some people escape he, and, and without shooting them. I don't think he would have done that at Edward. I think he would have tried to take as many young blacks out trying to assuage his anger of the fact that he, had, he was a failure and they were seemingly being successful. That's just my humble opinion. I haven't seen much to back, but that's what I really believe 
in my heart of hearts. Mm, that is a brilliant theory, uh, Dr. Bartley, because I hadn't heard that either. Uh, I've heard, you know, other folks, they interviewed Lieutenant uh, Antonio Bailey. That's the security officer uh, at Edward Waters University. Hero, brilliant work, like bravo, um, where he went, contacted authorities and all that, and the students as well, who saw this, it, kind of what you were saying, be alert. They were paying attention. They got a signal from the creator, maybe just being alert, notified security. Lieutenant Bailey, he gets on, calls the uh, enforcement officer. So this could have been, you know, way worse, uh, as you stated. But that, wow, that makes a lot of sense because apparently that was the first target. Uh, He was going, putting the, that's how they saw him. He was putting the tactical vest on and getting all geared up and everything. Like, oh man, like, yes, these are young, aspiring, educated black people i had to drop out of school i'm a flunky we've heard this before i had to drop out of school oh i'm just what you said before i'm jealous i'm mad i'm envious Mm. that makes a lot i really think that's what that was his plan that's why he drove to edward because it doesn't make any he drove from clay county to jacksonville to edward ward and I think that was fueling his thing. How can these black people be successful and I'm a failure? I'm going to kill some of them. Mm. And it just so happened that, that, you know, the good Lord intervened and he wasn't able to do that. And it's tragic that he killed the people. Because he killed a 19-year-old young man who's, who has a job. And I think that there was no accident that, you know, that was the second person he killed. He kills this, this Uber driver, this young African-American woman who's working as an Uber driver. He's killing people who are who are, are progressing, and I think it's it's to save the anger that he has that he's not progressing. Mm. Mm. The victims that he killed oh that nineteen year old Anolt mm-hmm. Laguerre Jr. nineteen years old uh, Gerald- and working. Mm. 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 And he couldn't keep a job at Home Depot. Conda, uh, Doctor. Bar- so, is this a mental health issue? I've heard that. Is this? A, do you think this is this is? We should have some sympathy because he just had some sort of brain problem going on that produced all of this. You think that's how we should think about this? <laughs> no, uh, racism is a mental health issue, and so. No, I mean that that that's it's cute to say that, but the reality is it it, it doesn't divorce you from the consequences of your decision. Uh, you know, all of us have. I mean, I, I had a conversation the other day with a young man who we were talking about this. The part of integration of schools, we were bullied every day. <laughs> I mean, and parents, the parents now who are crying about their kids being bullied. They were the ones bullying us, teachers, everyone. And, you know, and I said that, you know, I understand it's a good thing that we're attacking this uh, this issue now, but I said that it's interesting. It becomes an issue only when your kids are being bullied, but it wasn't an issue when our kids are being bullied and they're being bullied by you. The system bullies African Americans. And so, you know, if we're going to start, you know, using, you know, and, and we don't, no one... You know, I know he's taking medicine, but I don't. I have not seen the diagnosis. What actual mental illness was he dealing with? Mm. 
I haven't seen that diagnosis either. Um, I know they said he had the Baker Act where his uh, father reported that some years ago he had left a note saying he was suicidal and was going to jump off a building and they held him for a brief period. But I have not heard, you know, this is the diagnosis like he, you know, was schizotypal or, you know, something bipolar. I have not heard. (laughs) I've not heard any of that. Um, uh, White supremacy, racism, not met. We keep hearing that one as well. Things get reduced to a mental health issue. Anywho, uh, going to take up Dr. Bartley's entire evening with this most important issue that we will revisit. Did we miss anybody? Was there anyone who had a question that we missed before we let Dr. Bartley enjoy the rest of his uh, Tuesday evening? Make sure. Didn't miss anybody. We didn't miss anybody. Got everybody's question. Grant will soon nabbed everybody. Uh, the reports that we talked about to give some context for kind of the history of things that have happened previously in Jacksonville to get us to this point. <clears throat> you can check them out. They are available. One, the book, Keeping the Faith, Race, Politics, and Social Development in Jacksonville, Florida, 1940 to 1970. And then the report that has more detail about the uh, axe handle protests Uh, The 1960 and 1964 Jacksonville riots, how struggle led to progress. Excellent material. He has other scholarship as well, but just phenomenal. Will really help kind of ground you for the situation that took place uh, in Jacksonville. Man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Such short notice too. just all this just happened on Saturday to reach out and talk to Dr. Bartley on Sunday. He was more than willing to graciously speak with us this evening. Uh, Thank you so much. Proud son of Jacksonville for helping us to uh, get a better understanding of your hometown and uh, this tragic event uh, this past weekend. Uh, We will definitely uh, keep an eye out on uh, future scholarship. Oh no, they did it again. The caller at 0356. Did you have a, a quick question before we let Dr. Bartley go or were you just listening in? 0356. No, sir. Just call back. No, sir. No question. Oh, awesome. Great, great, great. Didn't miss. But thank you again, uh, Dr. Bartley, for uh, hanging out with us this Tuesday evening. I have learned a ton. And that theory, like, you should do a paper on that one because I have not heard anybody else. You should write that one up, uh, you know, put a little of the the sauce on it, the tenure Clemson tenure sauce on it. But, man, that is for sure one to think on what he was, what his what we think, especially if they give the manifesto and all that. But, yeah, you should write that up. You should write that up. Put your name on it, Dr. Bartley. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Enjoy this evening. Enjoy your call. It's awesome. Thank you so much, sir. Keep up the outstanding work. We will be reading uh, once again, Dr. Abel A. Bartley joining us live, uh, tenured professor, University of Clemson, Clemson, proud son of Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your evening, sir. Thank you. Go Jags. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Go Jags. Go Jags. Context of white supremacy, again, Dr. Abel A. Bartley. You have a good night. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You have a great evening. You too. For sure. Man, that is... uh, 
Mm, I don't know. Had that similar feeling. Remember when we talked to some of the folks are here when we spoke with Dr. Welsing after uh, the shooting at the Charlotte, Charlottesville church in 2015, always lovely to talk to Dr. Welsing. Like who could, who could be upset about that? But man, the cert, like ooh, would have been much better to be talking about out anything, uh, you know, fall, the coming, uh, what's the football team? University of South Carolina. Oh, Clemson. Sorry. Clemson Tigers. Yes. The, the schedule for the football team. Yes. Go Tigers. And, you know, tell non-Clemson dad, shut up. Don't be rooting against the home team. Non-Clemson dad. Well, I mean, we're going to root for the Tigers. Woo! We'll get a, a Clemson singlet for a woke baby and go out and Tigers all the way. Woo! Anyway, um, that is stunning. I'm going to have to think about that one a little bit. Like, because that, I don't, that was not, no, obviously, I don't think that information got reported on Saturday, at least, because I don't remember us talking about it. I don't remember anybody bringing it up. I didn't see it Saturday. I didn't see that until later that that was the initial he was not going to the Dollar General it seems he was going to the college to go shoot up as many young black students as possible Flunk, oh, oh, all of it really like the Columbine of it all the Peyton Gendron of it all the Dylan Roof of it all oof man kudo and Dr. Cambon that right there that right there I say I've been saying that especially since COVID because it's been more of this type of activity bombs and guns bombs and guns sobriety would be best when you are out in public Dr. Cambon he explained this to us about a decade ago he used the movie Buck and the Preacher the late Sidney Poitier and the late Ruby Diaz in that one too gorgeous uh but there's a part where Ruby D has been captured by race soldiers. Of course, they're going to save the day. I think Harry Belafonte is in that one, too. The late Harry Belafonte, too. But they're going to save her, of course. They get a message from the creator where they're like, oh, there's trouble. And they coordinate and they save the day. He says, that's how we have to be on the plantation sometimes because, man, it is dangerous. And he said, if you are out here and you've been drinking tequila malt liquor all the rest of it all the vodka you can all the beer labor day holiday is coming up right labor day weekend right isn't that coming up you've been out drinking all the rest of it been out smoking they got the recreational cannabis everywhere smoking and drinking doing the pills the percocets the other roofies you are not in your right mind maybe you've been playing tackle football you are not in your right brain computer you are not going to be getting those signals from the creator that those black students, young geniuses, hey, what is up with this white dude? Do you see what he's doing? Hey, hey, if they had been goofing around, drinking, whatever, not paying attention, not even just being mindful. We just talked about that. Listener said, man, white dog tried to chomp me to death. We said, man, we need to refine our code a little bit. You go to a facility or what have you, especially someplace out in public, a lot of people, scan. We talked to Grady Lewis this year. He scanned. He said, wait a minute. This dude does not look right. He's got a shirt on that says genius. What is going on here? Scan. Things don't look right. Get out of there. Call the enforcement officers 
immediately. That's what they did. Brilliant. If they don't do that, who knows? As he said, I mean, not that it was good. It did not work out well. It did not work out well. But wow. As he said, that could have been a high casualty count. And that would have been exactly what we've been talking about. That would have been a school shooting. Context of white supremacy. Anyway, uh, we'll take brief pause and then see if folks have thoughts on what they heard from Dr. Abel A. Bartley. Um, see if we can get some uh, other guests on the program. He didn't even mention the hurricane. I don't know if hurricane uh, is it Adelia. I think that's how you say it. I don't know if it's coming through. Uh, South Carolina, or maybe he's a little bit more inland, so it's not a big deal, but uh, all the folks who are in the path where the hurricane could be a problem, I thought that was what's the metaphor that they use? Insult to injury? Like, wow, to have this sort of event happen, and you can't even process because we got to go board up things and or evacuate the town? But this is hurricane. See, that's why I said at the beginning of the program, we're talking about Jacksonville mostly, by way of Clemson, but man, August 29th, forever. Katrina. We will take a quick break and then we will get folks' thoughts, observations. Uh, Jacksonville, first few hours uh, since the shooting. I'm still learning things myself. He said that they've released a few, uh, I guess, sentences or portions uh, from the manifesto. I was not even aware of that myself. So, yeah, still learning. That's what it'll be even more to report as all of this proceeds. Hopefully they'll go ahead and release the whole thing. But we'll take a short break and then we'll be back. Context of white supremacy. So something that means that something is wrong with our conceptualization about the problem. See, like I have a sister who's in Chicago, very sick in the hospital. And the big question, what is wrong? What, you know, in other words, she's having these symptoms. But the big question for the doctors to determine is, what is going on that is causing? See, not just the symptoms, but what is causing? And so this is where this question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times article, I mean, editorial today. The Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink under under Trump on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in stage white supremacy. So you, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. Nazi Germany got mentioned on the program yesterday. 
we are going to do 20 programs this month if we do our book club on Thursday, White People Permitting, active for the summer. That's the second time in the last three months that we will have done at least 20 programs for the month active. Have to assess to see if it's constructive, but we have been active. I looked at the calendar. I had been saying this at the beginning of this month. I remember at some point in August, I thought we were being kind of lazy, or at least I was like, eh, we haven't really done a ton of programs, but by months in, 20 is the benchmark. Uh, normally for 30 days, 20 programs, that is a substantial amount. Um, but yeah, we got there somehow. I had been saying like, wow, the September calendar is full. And it's really full. Like, we will easily do 20 programs if white people allow. We don't die by, you know, end of the month or what have you. Like, easy. Awesome September. I was excited about September. Like, let's just get to the September guest wrote like immediately rolling right for Labor Day weekend like oh all the stuff that I wanted to talk about was right the bombing Columbine gets to come back everything anyway but for August 20 programs right on right on invest if you think the program is constructive listener supported counter racist radio hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com paypal button in the top right corner much obliged for all the folks who have invested kept the cows broadcasting 14 plus years hopefully we have not just been active we have been constructive in helping non-white people victims of white supremacy understand what white supremacy racism is how it works what it means to be classified as white and what we can do to solve this problem. Two quick things that I will say. Number one, great question about how do we talk to children about all of this. I think I just said we had Toriano Porter on the program. We were talking about racism in Kansas City, the Kansas City area in general, just a few days back. And he was talking about, uh, we talked about Ralph Yarrow one black teen shot for going to the wrong address and we talked about his children as well he's a parent and he said he uh, did not go into too much detail about Ralph Yarl with his child because he wanted to shield his offspring from all of that at this point and VGQ totally understand that and I'm not a parent so I who am I Uh, but I said my opinion there is no shield there was a 19 year old killed at that dollar store 19 there is no shield and I mean they shoot younger victims all the time Dylan Roof at the church I think there was a 5 year old who had to play dead in the church it's been some years obviously but if my memory is correct I think it was a 5 year old who had to pretend to be dead there is no shield you just have to speak honestly with your children. They're going to see these events if they're around, the TVs and on. If anything, I would use it to speak to them honestly. Don't lie to them. This is why. Do you see how frequently you have, I don't know, if you have a 13-year-old, 
14-year-old, they have been around enough to see some of these events and where their brain computer was functional. You got a 14-year-old, that means they were born in 2009. That means they would like at least have some sort of recollection of this sort of thing happening over and over and over. Even if they're 10, 12, they remember tops. That was last year. That's why we're talking about this all the time. That's why we read these books. That's why we listen to Mr. Fuller, Dr. Cambon, Dr. Curry, whoever. That's why. Do you see how regular this is? He didn't say, I wouldn't even point out for specifics because the manifesto, what we heard from Sheriff T.K. Waters, he didn't say he hated people of color. He didn't say he hated black and brown people. He didn't say he hated women and LGBTQI plus and POCs by POCs. He didn't say none of that. None of that. None of that. I hate Negros. And that's what we heard from the TK Waters. Love it. Hate Negros. Make it plain. Hate Negros. Make it plain. That's the way I would talk to my offspring. Make it plain. System of white supremacy, racism, this is what to a this is why no parties we can't even get to the grocery store although i would point that out too because it's been tons of those all summer long shoot up the party and all the rest but this is why got to talk to your offspring honestly got to talk to ourselves honestly so many of us in tonight like hey man you can't even go to the dollar store man you don't have to leave your house. We just said Ralph Yarl and some of the others, Adarian Murray. There we go. Ralph Yarl was just going to pick up his brother, but Adarian Murray didn't even leave his house. And it's tons of those too. So, I mean, you got to be honest. Adarian Murray was 11 too. Got to be honest about the system of white supremacy racism because that helps explain a lot of the Wise, why we don't have a TV in the house, all that racist programming, Barbie and Oppenheimer and all the rest of it. This is why. The other component, um, I asked about his definition of racism, white supremacy, and it did not include specifically that white people practice racism, white supremacy people and power and you know all the way it didn't even really include the mistreatment component it also was not global and that was something that was kind of recurring in the conversation that I think is very important um, that does not get emphasized enough and I think that shows like a glaring deficiency that non-white people have in how we process this problem White supremacy racism is not a problem in America or the U.S. It is the known universe that individuals classified as white dominate and have turned into a plantation. That's how we have to think about this because that's what's true. There's no place you can run, hide, go to where this white supremacy racism is not going to be a problem global system all areas of people activity and I we already said going to the moon known universe that is very important even in understanding what it means to be classified as white but that is 
gargantuan. I hope that's something that has been emphasized. We've talked about white supremacy racism from a global perspective for years on this program, Global Sunday Talk, and having people on the program, white and non-white, from all over the world for the entire time that we've been on the program. That will continue next month. But that is gargantuan. Even that alone, when you have someone, they're thinking from a global perspective. We normally aren't even thinking from a U.S. perspective. We're normally thinking from a this is my block perspective. That is the definition of a nigger. Really small minded thinking really narrow view of the world that right there constrains our ability to solve this problem white supremacy racism dominates the known universe very different way of thinking about this problem and even what it means to be classified as white I'll just say quickly also it was rather interesting the progress and interracial dating so called that pattern is consistent I will say conversations about progress (sighs) the bedroom comes up it can't be black people have opened banks and entrepreneurs and uh uh, Jamal and Leroy got spaceships competing with Elon. Oh, no, 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 no. Interracial dating. All righty. Let's see. Hey, guess who's coming to dinner? Sydney 48, two times. Uh, let's see. Folks who dialed in, if you have thoughts, commentary, what we heard, uh, the discussion in Jacksonville, I do think that that is fascinating. He was going to go to shoot up the HBCU, Edward Waters, go shoot up the HBCU, another white flunky, a la Dylan Klebold. Lots of them, really, have dropped out that we talked about, but, hmm. Thoughts, uh, commentary, what they heard from Dr. Bartley, uh, situation in uh, Jacksonville. Black brother. Like brother of hell. Let's see. No thoughts or observations for the folks uh, on what they heard, what's going on in Jacksonville? Um, may I be heard? Lauren, yes, ma'am. Um, yes, sir. I I read in the paper that he went to the HBCU before he went to the Dollar General and the security guard sent him away. I thought the same thing. Well, I just thought he wanted to shoot the people at the school. Then he had to, you know, go to his plan B. But I actually didn't think that, you know, he wanted to shoot them because they were um, getting an education and they were going to be, um, you know, able to get better jobs. I didn't really think about that part. So, um I also noticed the thing about the the definition, all those other things. I just don't, um, you know, uh, want to criticize. That, that's all I have now. 
Love it. Victims guaranteed qualified. I love that, man. I love that we have the white guest only rule that I do break from time to time for situations like this. Buffalo, that's how we got free. Uh, uh, Grady Lewis on the program and Fragrance Harris Stanfield, right? I thought those were important reasons to break the rule, but we do break the rule to go the other way. What is your definition of it? That just further, in my view, that further shows who are the experts on racism, white supremacy. No criticizing, still learning, victim myself, and I don't have tenure. Other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary, line should be open. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I um, I heard about the HBCU being possible for a target. Was the report said that security alerted they came got away? I'll just like to know how that's possible. I also see that another repeating pattern of these race soldiers, um, how they're either in custody or there's a long file of their history and they're still allowed to do It's a little challenging. There's a lot of uh, background noise uh, and such, but I think from if I was able to make it out uh, that individuals classified as white uh, where they get taken into custody but it's for a brief period of time I did see that with this uh, the white gunman in Jacksonville uh, that he was taken into custody previously but it was just for a short period of time Uh, I think this was uh, the Baker Act they talk about where there might be some sort of mental issue or what have you and then they released him Um, individuals classified as white like hey they're not they free will supposed to be free white and 21 like I'm not supposed to be caged I'm not one of these niggers you don't shackle me up I'm no Khalif Browder you know uh, let's see were there other folks who dialed in commentary they wanted to share can I be heard yes sir um yes uh Gus did you and Dr. Barley did you guys talk about the phallic nature of axe handles and how it looks like a, like a black male phallus? Like it's um, googling pictures of axe handles. They look like it's the old dark brown, dark wood, you know, long and very phallic like. Um, was that discussed? No, sir. Because I tuned in a little late. Mm. Okay, I I just wanted to um to point that out. How you know, part of the Crest theory, uh, Dr. Francis Crest Walton, um, she talked about it a lot about you know a lot of these weapons and how they're made to to resemble you know the blackmail of phallus, like guns and other weapons of that nature. That's all for right now. 
Much obliged. Much obliged. The other folks who had commentary, they wanted to make sure they got in? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, how's it going, Gus? I haven't uh, talked to you in a while, but I knew uh, I'd have to call in to hear your new show or broadcast. Well, the thing that I find interesting about this is uh, how many of these people that are white folks, in particular white males, to do that, they always have to get in a vehicle and drive a long distance to find some black folks to terrorize. And when I think about it, it's similar to how uh, white males in prior years, some might call it during the segregation time, would have to get in vehicles or ride their horses to the black part of town to burn it down in exact violence on black folks. So that's something that I've observed about these shootings. These aren't uh, white males who are shooting at and doing harm to black people in their local environment. They seem always have to get in a vehicle and drive quite a distance to find some black folks. That's all. Absolutely correct. Um, I think Strom Thurmond, he was brought up tonight, right? Strom Thurmond saying, uh, stay away from the Negras, you know. They, they got the cooties and all the rest of it. Stay away. They got to have the separate schools and not the pitchfork. Ben Tillman, he was mentioned, uh, said a lot of that. Uh, and then they got to come. If you do say, okay, we'll stay on our side of the state or the planet or whatever. And then they got to come all the way over here and find some niggers that they have never met. Don't know, have not robbed them they didn't have some sort of online scam and duped them out of a few nickels nothing but I hate niggers and had to drive all the way across state to come and kill niggers I think Mr. Fuller might even say man make up some old phony wars and we gotta go all the way to the other side of the world cause you got weapons of mass destruction don't they Colin Powell get up there yeah don't they yeah 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 we gotta go fight yeah 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 they can't even come over here but that's all right we'll go get them pattern and it's cowardly too because a lot of time it's going to fight people who cannot fight back or I'm going to bomb the grocery store and the church and that sort of old cowardly behavior anywho other folks anything else they need to get in Um, quick question, Gus. Uh, did you pick the next book for the book club after uh, the Sue Clebo book? Nope, and I do not take suggestions from listeners. Again, see Man in the High Castle. <laughs> understood, understood. But uh, I did see uh, a post about uh, the 45th anniversary of, of the Jonestown Massacre. Um, I just wanted to know if um, if that uh, would be an interesting topic to discuss. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, we have talked about it briefly on the program. Even recently, I was talking about that in route to Buffalo uh, this year. Um, yeah, we had talked about that. I was saying that's one of my regrets. Doctor with Doctor Welsing talked about that with us all the time. Uh, that's one I wish we had talked about before. That's two. I just said that yesterday. One is Henrietta Lacks. 
wish I had spoken about that with her in detail because that was a uh, subject that she was very enamored with and thought was super important. How could she not? Medical doctor. Uh, But two... Jonestown, that was also a subject that she thought was very important that black people uh, should study. And that's what I had started to finally do seriously uh, in terms of going to do. There are amazing reports about what happened in Jonestown. But yes, that's for sure something we will have to get to down the road. So much to global system, global system. What does it mean to be white? Yes, very important. Everybody satisfied or anything else? Hey, Gus. I, I want to, uh, I guess, make a statement or ask you a qu- It's more of a question. Um, yesterday's guest, uh, near the end before she ran, um, I found it interesting that after she was questioned about if she had had uh, sexual relationships with a black person, in particular a black male, and then somebody asked her, I think, about if she's scared of black males. I find it very interesting that she brought up that she was supposedly robbed at gunpoint on the south side of Chicago. And when I heard that, I thought about the um, way that the white supremacist uses Chicago and violence in Chicago, the shootings and all that in Chicago, as an excuse or as a deflection whenever something uh, a, a white person, in particular a white male, goes and does an act of violence on a large scale to a group of black people. But I just wanted to point that out, just something that when she said it, it was like, oh, good old got robbed in the south side of Chicago. So then the question comes, what were you doing over there? Was she maybe over there having a fling with a black guy and then she got robbed or whatnot? But I found that to be very interesting. That's it. Wacky. Phoebe Zerwick is who he's uh, referring to. She was with us yesterday talking about privileged black male Daryl Hunt. Uh, towards the end of the program, uh, a caller. Oh, he's with us. <laughs> My fellow in uh, the Bronx, privileged black male, um, who was asking her about if she had sexual activity with a black person and then uh, if she was scared of black people. I don't remember who that was yesterday, but somebody did say that they thought that that was, uh, I'll use the metaphor fishy, uh, suspicious that anecdote they didn't have the exact same logic that you did that, you know, that's kind of code for niggers or even that'll be the way that they switch it up. If you start a conversation about the system of white supremacy, but hey, 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 you got all that black on black crime and you niggers killing each other on the south side. <laughs> why, why don't Obama do something about that? Why don't you do something about your cousins? Like that is, that's been for like for a decade. That's been the go-to. Like we don't need to talk about racism. Let's talk about Chicago and you all shooting each other. How many did you kill the last weekend? Like that is so common. Uh, that wasn't the, the logic that was used yesterday, but I think it was very similar. Like, man, that's a little too cliche. Uh, <laughs> it was rightful skepticism from someone yesterday for similar reasons for old Phoebe Zerwick, uh, racist suspect. Uh, anywho, uh, might be even so-called liberal. Why that word was used? Even the other very oh, one of the worst pairings in the world, white friend. Oh, oh, oh. Did hear that one, man. Oh, man. Um, I guess I will say that. I heard that term a few times within the context of Jacksonville, just within the last, what is that? Three days since Saturday, three days, four days, three days within the 
context of counter-racist science, that term friend should not be used. I've heard repeatedly when some non-white people, victims guaranteed qualified, but they'll get very excited and they'll be talking about people classified as black and saying, see there, it's easy to attack us because black people have no friends. One, I think that is a word Mr. Fuller talks about in the word word guide, use with caution. Two, the system of white supremacy is not about friends at all. Racists are not necessarily friends with other racists. They just practice racism together, swap racist jokes or what have you, but that does not mean they are friends. White people bicker, squabble with, rape, everything, one another all the time non-white people are not friends period now Oppenheimer got brought up who were friends of the folks non-white people in Nagasaki say hey wait a minute you don't do that to my yellow sisters and brothers wait a minute those are my friends you don't do that and if they did have friends Nagasaki they turn around and do the same thing again well I told you the first time you don't do that to my friends what's wrong with you where were their friends that term should not be used at all. The problem is not that black people don't have friends. The problem is not that non-white people don't have friends. The problem is the system of white supremacy racism. Period. In my view, that just further shows Mr. Fuller's talked about that we're not men and women. That is a real what shall I say? That is like a juvenile way of approaching a problem, a global problem that we should be thinking about in a sophisticated and scientific manner not where are my friends what are you talking about counter racist logic we are supposed to be using science logic to solve problems not thinking about friends I could be in error uh, before we wrap it, I'm being ignorant if I'm not making counter racist sense not being logical let me know are we all are you all looking for friends anybody here are you looking for friends is that the goal for replacing white supremacy with justice producing friends whatever that means no not at all okay anybody no. friends is that in the word guy too? Let me make sure I'm not lying on Fuller. If we get that quick, maybe before we ride out, that's great. If not, we can table that for another one. But I think he does even recommend caution with the use of that term friend because I don't even know really how you can have friends on the plantation. They sell people and everything else. Like, my friend, we mean he's been down the river. We, what? Any, we didn't get anybody? Got any friends? Friends? Is that counter racism logic? Friends? You can ponder on it as well. No, just. I'm sorry to cut you off, guys. I said no friends, just fellow victims. Right on, right on. I'd have to say people you acquaint with. Sorry, about that. but that's why I looked at it because I thought about friends and it's like, what does that mean? A while ago, and so people ask me, "Is that your friend?" I say, "Well, no, that's the person I acquaint with," because I can look at acquaintanceship as being something. Like we're aiming to accomplish something. Maybe we both work together in the same environment, so we have to acquaint with one another around this thing. And yes, we might, you know, 
share some niceties at times, but ultimately I learned you don't really have friends, you have acquaintances at best. So I, I don't believe in the whole friends ideal. I think you should be your own friend, but I don't believe you can go look for friends because in a system of white supremacy, particularly among victims, like I've never really seen friendship. I would concur, unfortunately. I think we should be trying to produce justice so then we can have those genuine friendships. Like, ah, now that, that is my homie. Ah, that's what I've been looking for. Like, that should be the motivation. And particularly in this context, because that's what this was about, Jacksonville. Black people get attacked because we don't have friends. That almost sounds like we would have somebody who could protect us from racist white supremacists. Again, I'm baffled. I'm not aware of any non-white people who have someone that they can pick up the phone and boop, 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 text, smoke signal, something, and they hop spaceship or wherever. They pop out of the universe and back up. Don't you touch that non-white fella. Get on out of here. I will cane you good. Like, I'm not, I'm not aware of any non-white people, classified as black or otherwise, who have access to such a friend. just trying to follow logic very important everybody good you didn't miss anyone everyone satisfied grant we will be here uh thursday book club excited uh we get to so there were things specifically that i was looking for in this book one of them Sue Klebold talking about the paper that her bombing son wrote about going and shooting up folks in a trench coat and being a god because I get to go out and kill people. That portion comes up this week in the book. This is a portion that uh, widely has been reported that she lies about what happened with this paper and the school and them contacting her and all of that. So my attention was immediately like I've been waiting for this since we started reading this book. So Thursday, Sue Klebold, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. For exactly what we talked about this evening, sobriety would be best when you are out in public, even if you're at your residence. But particularly you are out and about. What age, male, female, whatever. You need to be alert. You need your brain computer working at its best. Am I in danger? What is going on? What is he up to? What is she doing? Do I need to get out of here? Have I identified exits? Am I safe? Maybe even billions of other questions, but alert, scanning, mindful. What are these white people up to? What are these non-white people up to? You do not want to be intoxicated where you're not really paying attention to your surroundings, not really aware of where you are, who's around you. We're on the plantation. It's dangerous. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient 
with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling, no gossiping, no throwaway offspring. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Again, safety, all the folks, Florida, path of the hurricane, safety. Cow signing out. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah.